Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Occasionalists. Matt Pagel here once again with Adam Chemelewski as we continue our Fright Fest episodes here with another episode, uh, another another installment of our season of the trilogy. Um, Chema, how you doing today, my man? Dude, I am doing pretty good. Um, trying to make it through this crazy week that I was telling you about. Um, but believe me, man, that weekend weekend is on the horizon. A weekend of probably what's going to be mediocre football. But man, I am just looking forward to it. Anything to get me out of this week. Yeah, the weekend is almost here and we are almost, uh, we're that much closer to getting to, uh, actually getting to Halloween, Halloween weekend. Um, which is what this whole month is about for us. Um and uh you know it's it's kind of funny though like i'm i'm very curious i'm just very curious to see what this halloween looks like comparative to last halloween again of course it's on like a sunday so i probably won't be partaking as much as i would normally but i'm like very curious to see like how how much people let their guard down this year oh i am very very intrigued by this and um you're right halloween on a sunday out here fucking sucks because uh West Hollywood does this big, like massive OU style Halloween type thing where all the bars are open, the streets are closed, everybody dresses in costume. That's on a Sunday, which really pissed me off because I want to go to this, but I mm-hmm. don't want to do it on a Sunday. And the, one of the big things about last year is like, man, we had a Saturday Halloween that this fucking pandemic cost us. <laughs> so rare. And uh, I have a feeling that this year, I don't necessarily want to use the expression full throttle. Like, I I don't know if we're going to be back to where we were in previous years prior to the pandemic, but I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of guard letting down this particular time around. I think that's, I think that's the best way to put it. There's going to be a lot of, a a lot of people are going to let their guard down for, for a weekend, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And like the, every, in everybody's mind, like, you know, it's, I, I know we are still in this thing, dude. And like the numbers and everything with these cases, like they're still, it's not good. You know, there may be some declines in certain areas, but this still isn't necessarily like the best place to be. But like, there's just a lot of people that I think have sort of moved beyond some of the like things like it, maybe like wearing masks around like a bunch of people and stuff at parties. Mm-hmm. If you're all vaccinated, I, I think like, you know, there are certain comforts that people take around being around vaccinated people that will lead to more of a guard letting down this year. But I do believe that there's still going to be um, some, some like, you know, pumping the brakes a little bit and hesitancy about going out and stuff. And it, especially in areas where, you know, maybe it's colder, or maybe that have seen like recent influxes and stuff. But, you know, there's going to be we're going to see both sides of this whole thing. People letting their guard down, but then also some hesitancy, some little like conservatism as far as going out as, as well. It just depends on where you live, because um, I'm sure they're not going to give a fuck in Alabama or South Carolina. Oh, absolutely not. They didn't give a fuck about it when it was at its worst. You know, they're not going to start all of a sudden giving a shit about it now. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. Like out here, I could see. I could see certain parties that bars are throwing in certain areas like being and also you're going to have to require a vaccine. So I think those right. will be like on the rock inside. Um, but I'm, I don't know, man. I'm just like I'm not expecting like a whole lot of like UCLA house party type things or like college campus life to right. be as <laughs> rocking as it was in previous years. Right, right. Yeah, uh, it sucks. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, there's always next year. 
Yeah, that's right. That's for sure. And then we can wait another, I think, five years before another Saturday Halloween comes around. Something like that. Um, there's, I know that there's, I know there's a way to break down exactly when certain days will fall, like what days certain dates will fall on. I can't remember the like the equation that goes into it. But like, if I did offhand, I could tell you when the next time we'll have like a Saturday or at least a Friday Halloween would be. Um, yeah. But uh, anyway, <clears throat> but we're we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about some scary movies. Um, as we continue, as as I said before, as we continue our season of the trilogy portion of the of the uh, Occasionalist Fright Fest. So, uh, Chema, I'll let you I'll let you take it from here. All right, everybody. Yes, this episode we are calling the 1980s TV Scream trilogy. Trilogy. Uh, can I can which... I interject real quick? Go for it. Your name is kind of boring for this. I gotcha. Can I offer? Can I offer a, a an alternative? Go for it, definitely. So, since we're talking about nineteen eighties TV, um, very heavily in, in all of your in all of your movie selections here, um, had, are you familiar with the term letterbox? Yes, I am. Yes. Okay. So, for any, explain it to everyone else out there, since we're on a podcast, that would help if you. Tell okay, people. I've heard it. Like I know it being a term for like that you draw males in, but I don't necessarily, you might as well just go with this one. Okay. I'm aware of like this term. I don't know like the exact definition you're going to be referencing here. Okay. So letterbox is when you, when you're watching something on TV or, uh, and, it, and the format isn't correct for your TV, you'll see two black bars either on top or on the sides of your television. Oh, That's yeah. letterboxing. So for a long time, the standard, um, well, it's actually called four three standard was the was the way that TV was presented to us because that was the it was the easiest format from the Academy ratio, which I, I won't get into it. Um, Academy ratio is slightly bigger. What you would see in the movie theater for a long time was slightly bigger than the four three ratio, which means you could shrink down stuff for television much easier. Um, so if you uh, if you're watching a TV show that took place from any basically any point in time, TV show or movie that took place. From any point in time, from like the 1940s up through about 2009, um, you'll see it in a letterbox. You'll see it in a 4-3 standard letterbox format, uh, where you have two black bars on the side, unless it's been unless someone has you know unless the studio or company has gone and, and gotten the original footage and expanded to a 16-9, which is like a okay. widescreen format that everyone's TV basically has at this point, or a computer monitor or whatever. Um, <clears throat> so uh, Chema, I I if I'm suggesting that you call this the Letterbox Trilogy. The Letterbox Trilogy. I like that very much too, dude. Let's go with that for sure. Okay. Definitely. Cool. Awesome. Yes. Thank you very much for that technical, that really definition there. I had, I basically had heard it familiar. And I had heard this applied to that before, but some of these specifics way over my head on that one. Just like totally I went out of my mind on that one. So Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I just I don't know, it just makes sense. If we're like you know, when and I'll I'll tell everyone right now, when you're watching these movies, they've all been converted to sixteen nine. So there is no letterboxing. It just fills up your entire screen. Um so it you know, but if you were to at some point like if you have an old D V D copy of this, um hell if you have an old VHS I don't I don't know who the hell has a VCR at this point in time other than like video professionals. Um, you would see it in the four three letterbox format with two black bars on the side of your TV. Yeah, I remember watching stuff like that growing up and everything. I've seen videos in that format and stuff. Yeah, and I I remember why like 
I remember kind of like when widescreen DVDs were like kind of like a thing to, you know, like, hey, you could buy the regular or the widescreen to have that option. So, yeah. So onward with the um, with the episode here, which are going to be talking about three movies, all from the 1980s called they are Videodrome, The Video Dead and Halloween three, the season of the witch. But before we dabble into the conversation, do have a little bit of a lightning round question here for you. And that is, what is your favorite element of the 1980s horror when compared to other decades? I mean, first and foremost, uh, Chum of the Hair is ridiculous. Um <laughs> I just it I mean I'm not really being that serious but like I was just thinking about like the people's hair in all these movies and I'm like man it was big big for the women obviously but then like all the men looked like they were wearing like helmets like their hair yeah. is so fucking like sprayed into place it was like helmets but um I, and I think this is mostly mostly because of budgetary concerns my real point here mostly because of budgetary concerns there's a lot more close-ups of the victim's face than we would see in like a saw movie like in a saw okay. movie we're going to see the close-ups of someone getting split into pieces right like right the, we're going to see the you know the acid melting their hand or someone's rib cage getting ripped open or whatever um and, and but like you go back to the 80s and a lot of these movies some of them for sure went with the with the gore route the best they could but for the most part it was like a close-up of someone's like anguished face as they're getting stabbed to death and this is just because of the lack of budget and also like pre- uh, you know, pre CGI and pre like premium VFX. Yeah, no, I totally gotcha on that one, dude. Definitely. And that makes, that makes a whole lot of sense with the whole close ups on the faces and everything. Definitely. I went with this route of every time I think about the eighties, dude, I think about just like, like absurd genius behind horror movies. It seems like this was the decade where I know that they had horror like, you know, basically all throughout the history of cinema. But for some reason in the 80s, it really comes alive with like just different like absurdity stuff. Like there's like ghoulies. There's like the um, like the Evil Dead movies and stuff like that are around in the 80s where everything just kind of comes together in this like with ideas that I just don't, this is like all the ideas where like, I had no idea where they got that from. You know what I'm saying? Like there's just this certain idea kind of thing, eruption in the 1980s that of absurdity of blood gore of all these different kind of weird ideas all coming to life. And that's what I think about it. When I think of the 1980s horror. That's because the, the eighties is the, um, I don't know the, the golden nature B movies. Uh, where it's just like because you know we've already done you know like we think about the horror movies that started well even like even start before the 80s we think halloween well we've done halloween so who else can kill somebody okay so we've done we've done a mask you know we've done another masked um you know we have freddy invading dreams what else can we do like that's that's essentially what it is just to feed that appetite for something more which is going to be uh at least for me like a big part of what i'm talking about today yeah no definitely dude yeah there's like There is something like when you talk about or look back on like some of these B movies from prior to the 1980s, they some of them may have like really cool ideas and stuff. But there's just I don't know. There's just something about them that it's not like the kind of B movies that you got in the 1980s. Like I almost find that they were a little bit more entertaining in the 80s and they weren't necessarily like. 
how I rem- how I remember like low budget movies from that time, which are just I don't know. I, I know that the '80s ones, like, you know, could be really badly shot, but it seems like the ones that were prior to the '80s didn't necessarily age like all that well. Like they almost look like too cheap in their own way. Yeah, no, I got gotcha. you. Definitely, definitely. All right, so going into the intro and explainer section here. The three movies that I went with. So I'm going to go off on giving you the titles and just kind of a brief little uh, synopsis of each here. Starting off with Videodrome, which is a 1983 Canadian science fiction body horror film that was written and directed by David Cronenberg, starring James Wood, Sonia Smith, and Debbie Her- Deborah Harry as a um, with red hair, which uh, I got to say was... It's been Jess and I have not been able to uh, drop that from conversation. She looked absolutely amazing. Debbie and Harry, was, Debbie Harry is like next level hot, like yeah. next level hot. It's really unfair, man. Like it, it really is. So I, part of me was like, man, I think she actually looks better with red hair. And I, I don't know. I saw, it was just basically Jess and I have been not been able to stop talking about it since we saw and it. She, and she was, and not that this is old, but I mean, like she was about like forty. At that point in time, yeah, wasn't like that's right. Wasn't like super young um, Debbie Harry, you know, early on in Blondie. Like she was definitely, she was a very known commodity at this point, and she was still next level hot. Yeah, exactly. It's just it's just unfair. I wish I I wish I could be that attractive. <laughs> so set in the Toronto in the early 1980s, it follows the CEO of a small UHF television station who stumbles upon a broadcast signal featuring violence and torture. The layers of deception and mind control conspiracy unfold as he uncovers the signal's source and loses touch with reality in a series of increasingly bizarre hallucinations. God, I loved it. I absolutely loved the movie. So I'm going to go on to I've, the next description. I, oh, I just forgot how unabashedly Canadian Videodrome is. Yeah. Like, they're, the... they're not making any effort to hide that it's Canada. So, you know, so it can get wider play. It's just like, hey, we're in Canada. Here are all these Canadian things. Uh, we're going to have Canadian numbers. We're going to have a lot of O-U-R's uh, at the mm-hmm. end of Harbor and, um, you know, whatever else. Like, it's so unabashedly Canadian. I, I kind of forgot that. Let me tell you. I was actually going to say that. That is in my notes of stuff to bring up here. I loved that they they didn't even hide it. They were not even trying to disguise it being like New York City or, or like Chicago or whatever. Because mm-hmm. I got to tell you, like you could have easily, with the exception of all of the you know the Canadian style writing and the fact Toronto harbors and everything was written on them, that one sign at the mm-hmm. end. I you could have told me that that was America and I would like Chicago, New York. You could have told me that was any city, really like Chicago or Toronto in the 80s, like just looked so underdeveloped compared to what it does today. I mean, today it's like a, a shining metropolis. Well, like that's the that's the shitty part. Like, here's what the, here's what they don't tell you about big cities is that there's big shitty parts to them. And yeah. otherwise, like, well, why would you go to New York? <laughs> like, come right. visit all the homeless people. Like, you're not they're not going to suck at being a travel brochure. Um, right, like it's the it's the it's the shitty part of, of Toronto, and it's supposed to be like the shitty part of Toronto because that's like where Max Wren and his ilk hang out in the shitty parts. Right, yeah, and like they're definitely and like even in terms of the skyline, like the skyline was there was this shot of it during the movie, and like you're looking at Space Needle on the right, a couple of buildings on the left, and or vice versa, and dude. What the, that skyline looks like now is, I mean, you're talking, it oh, looks yeah. like two completely, completely mm-hmm. different cities and stuff, you know? And yeah, like some of those, um, some of those areas, like some of those like seedy kind of under, underbelly areas, 
you could have told me that that was that was Cleveland, no problem. I mean, there are there are city block shots there that I swear to God are somewhere in Northeast Ohio. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a, a really a really identifiable um, or relate or I guess like relatable city yeah. in terms of like architecture and stuff like that. So was really really I get I don't know I'm a sucker for Toronto. Um, there was this point in time right before we moved out here that Chicago that Toronto like replaced Chicago in terms of like where I would go to travel and I love it. And that is one place that um, I would love to go back to if um, given the opportunity. Mm-hmm. So the next movie is called The Video Dead, which is a 1987 horror film that is written and directed by Robert Scott and starring Rosanna Augustin. And the screenplay concerns a paranormal, paranormal television that causes zombies from a never-ending film to enter the real world. And the film was released in a direct-to-video direct and has been re-released several, several times since then. And I do have a little section about um, direct-to-video to uh, get into later on this episode. And the third movie in the trilogy is Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, a 1982 American science fiction horror film and the third installment in the Halloween film, uh, Halloween film series, written and directed by Tommy Lee, Lo- Tommy Lee Wallace. John Carpenter and Deborah Hills were um, returned as producers, but they were not um, directing. They, they returned as producers in a... Yeah, you can use Halloween as the name, kind of yeah. way. They didn't do anything else. Uh, although Carpenter did uh, do some work on the score too, but yeah, that's, he, that's it. I, if I'm not mistaken, I think somewhere in there I saw he contributed a little bit on the script, but this is not like a lot. Like, no, we're talking not at all. like maybe just like a once over type thing. But um, this is you could definitely tell. Um, the difference between this movie and some of the early Hall- the earlier two Halloween movies. Oh yeah. Um, it just, you know, that like his stamp is not on there. Mm-hmm. It's de- definitely not on there. Mm-hmm. So Halloween three is the, um, the only entry of the series to not feature Michael Myers. And it is basically this, uh, story about a, company that wants to resurrect ancient pagan rituals of sacrifice during the age of witchcraft from Celtic lands um, by inserting pieces of Stonehenge into microchips that are attached to Halloween masks made by the Silver Shamrock Novelties Company. And on Halloween night, a special signal will be broadcast uh, during during their um during this like kind of uh i kind of can't remember the what they specifically call it right now but um it was like it was like the the haunting hours they're they're showing halloween yeah they they were yeah and there was something they give the big giveaway it was during the big giveaway and stuff um they're going to broadcast the signal and anybody wearing the mask the signal would activate the microchips and uh the mask would decompose the person's head and filling it with insects and snake and snakes and will also kill everybody in the room and i just i kind of laugh now that i am reading that aloud because it just sounds so ridiculous but i gotta tell you i've seen halloween three three or four times throughout the course of my life. And this one was by far and away the best viewing that I've ever had of it. This really, it's, I guess this is aging. Well, we're not talking like aging so great here, no. but this is really, really, it's a much better movie to me now than it was when I it's, was younger. It's better. It's better than its reputation. Yes. Yeah. Way better than its reputation. But it's I still, it's still not, a, it's still not like something that I would, like obviously we're gonna talk about it here, but like 
in casual conversation, if someone were to ask me about it, it'd be like, yeah, it's fine. It, you know, probably su- probably suffers from the fact that Halloween is stuck on its title. Um, right. But like, if you want to watch it, great. And that would pretty much be the end of the conversation. But yeah, no, you're right. I, you know, something like as crazy is like I would probably, even though I've just watched this, I think like whatever conversation I'm going to get out of this movie, you're going to hear tonight. Like, there's, I, I don't necessarily think I'm going to hang. You know, we're going to end this conversation, and I'm going to get online and be like, man, there was just so much to Halloween three that I need to learn about and stuff, and oh, I can't wait to bore Jesse right. with this at dinner and everything. So this is, um, this was a, like I said, I enjoyed this. Um, and but the discussion that we have here today might be like this might be the last time like Halloween three comes across my my vocal unless I or, like comes across my voice unless I'm like particularly referencing it for some weird reason. Right, right. But but I gotta say, much better time watching it uh, this time around than I did uh, when I was saw it with Carl for the first time as we were when we were kids and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So going into the main reasons that I uh, chose these movies. And I will start off by saying that to select the horror trilogy, it was a little bit, it was just a little bit difficult. Like I was trying to do something uh, outside of the, like kind of like what you did, you know, with the the two guys, like the same writers being a part of everything. Right. And and I'll say mine was just that much easier to put together because of, when you have the same director and cinematography duo, like it's really easy to stick them all together. Um, yeah. And, and like, and as I said before, I did want to do something different. It would just be one of the most tone deaf things we could possibly do. Right. Right. And I remember you talking about the, the body horse selection you were, you were um, toying with and everything. And I'll get into some of my, um, a couple of my like failed ideas uh, in right. a little bit here, but like, yeah, it was really difficult. And um, I, I basically, um, I kind of stumbled upon this. Um, the first reason that I got pointed in this direction was because I either wanted to do something involving David Cronenberg because we had our Canada episode not too long ago. And I really had a fun time with that. And mm-hmm. it, it made me realize um, I kind of have this little bit of a disconnect between um, early with earlier David Cronenberg works. There's, I remember seeing this when I was younger but in terms of like my ability to reference them with any kind of level of detail is a little bit lost on me in my old age. So I kind of wanted to go back and do something like that or do one of his movies included in the, um, in the, in the trilogy. And I also like, um, I like, I just, I really wanted to make sure that I got one film from somebody that we have, discussed you know so i could at least like use that as a jumping off point so Mm -hmm. david cronenberg so that was like one of my reasons just i wanted to have us like just give us somebody that we've kind of talked about and i was able to sort of build build around that the uh the second um reason that i chose this trilogy was to uh you know talk about some of the the themes here and would be these team themes and everything fall under, um, you know, the techno horror umbrella, I guess. Um, and the themes that I have written down, which we will discuss later on would be our relationship with technology, television as an antagonistic force and the intent of content. 
So um, I wanted to reference those now and we'll pick those up a little bit later, but I thought those would be very interesting themes to explore. And I was also, um, I'll tell you honestly that um, in terms of techno horror, I've started developing and putting, I mean, I wrote a short, actually I've wrote written two short uh, techno horror films in the last, uh, in the last like uh, two months. And one of them I'm going to expand upon. So this turned out to be a podcast episode, but also a start of my research as I start to um, develop this uh, techno horror story and everything like that. And, and then the uh, the third one is basically like I have this, um, which we'll get to at the way, way end here. But um, I think I found a way to actually glue this whole thing together. I, it's a, It was a little bit of a stretch here, but I found a way to, to glue everything together with these three movies and stuff. And I also wanted to do like – I, I kind of wanted to include a straight-to-video release – because I do believe that the straight-to-video element is a very important element of horror culture that we'll get into a little bit later. And I just kind of wanted to do just, you know, something like a little bit different in everything. And I got to tell you, and this is when I'll get into this whole thing with these trilogies, like, dude, I first I went online and I tried to find something that was like just really deep and buried, you know, just something that like, you know, maybe maybe only like you had heard of, uh, heard of out of people that are in my regular like social circle. But I, I couldn't really find anything. Um I tried to like, I, I got basically got stuck in this like hole, you know, and I fell into these like articles from like screenrant.com where it's like, Hey, these three movies exist in the same universe. Let me tell you why. And after, I don't know, man, I think like, I just got, they just started to like, really like, just get me like, this was like, and I know that some of mine are like far-fetched here and stuff. But like these these people were like, oh, Titanic, the Wolf of Wall Street and Blood Diamond are all in the same universe and stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, no, no. Like and I just became really, really like annoyed with people using Nicolas Cage, Matt Damon, Leo to try to like connect three universes, three films together and stuff, you know, which then led me to a, uh, a Reddit thread about unofficial horror trilogies and from here, I reshifted my entire focus and I just kind of wanted to focus on like one like reoccurring like theme, one kind of reoccurring symbol, one reoccurring plot device, because I found this like this cool kind of list. And um, one of these, these just had a bunch of dumb names like these are obviously people like commenting stuff like the oh shit it's a cult trilogy which was hereditary midsummer and the void actually which was what which is the most entertaining um one that this reddit user had posted hmm. so yeah i know right so um i so basically so from there i um just decided to you know just basically focus on like a theme i um that's how it led me down to the road that we are at today and a couple of ones that uh did not make it were um i was going to do a a trilogy another kind of techno horror trilogy about computers um there was two movies that I had not seen that were in this, and one was Demon Seed, another one was Chopping Mall. 
but these didn't give me like what I wanted in terms of like a, a number one. I didn't, I don't know. I just was, I kind of felt like I was left hanging with the third movie. Like I'd sort of be able to connect those two together, but the third movie is just nothing. And also these movies really wouldn't have given us the opportunity to focus on a figure that you and I had talked about. So those two just kind of went right out the window for me. And um, I was also debating on doing the, Santa Mira trilogy, which is a fictional town in California that a bunch of different things take place in. Um, Halloween three takes place there. Mm -hmm. That's where the, um, the factory is invasion of the body snatchers actually takes place in this uh, small town and a TV movie from 1994 that I've actually seen called a friend to die for starring Tori Spelling. And it's all about this um, girl who's not popular wants to be popular. And she stabs Tori Spelling. It's based on a real story. And like, for some reason, this movie like really screwed me up as a kid. Cause I was like, Oh wow, people are just killing each other in high school and they're showing it on NBC. So um, also Sharknado, like I think three through four for five or something like that. There's like a couple of Sharknado movies right in a row that take place in this fictional town too. And I, number one, I'm never ever going to openly write anything that encourages us to watch a Sharknado movie. I, I, you have probably seen at least one of them. I, I've seen it as a having drinks in the background or in the, in the background while having drinks with people kind of movie. I didn't necessarily want to rewatch any of the Shark or rewatch Sharknado or then watch any of the other ones. And I also kind of felt that there wasn't much to go with in terms of the thing, the uh, everything just being in one place. You know, I, I don't know. I thought that I maybe could get a little bit more creative than the, Hey, these all just take place in the same town trilogy. So that is how we are. At, that's how we find ourselves at the precipice of the letterbox trilogy. All right. You, there's, I, I, you know, it's funny because I, I, I thought that Santa Mira was one of those places um, that like writers, it always starts with like one writer, you know, making up someplace, and then yeah. like it makes sense that Invasion of the Body Snatchers is sort of like the OG for this. Mm-hmm. That it, you know, that's a seminal piece of science fiction horror that other other writers and directors would then pick up on it. I had a feeling it was, but like I wasn't totally sure. I was just googling it there. Like there's like a ton of movies and TV shows that yeah, take place in Santa Mira. There's books too, like the part of the Dark Tower is set in mm-hmm. uh, Santa Mira, California. So, yeah, there's um, I there's got to be more examples of that out there. Like a like Shurma, Illinois, supposedly was the uh, with the John Hughes town from the Breakfast Club, right. all that stuff. We've, we've like, talked about one before, which is Del Verde. Oh, Del Verde. Which episode did we do that in again? Um, we opened up. I, I believe it was me, you, and Greg talking Mortal Kombat 1995. Oh, okay. I it's gotcha. where okay. it's where Steven Souza sets all of his movies. So like Predator, um, Predators. That's right. It's Val Verde, Commandos Val Verde. It's like an action movie uh, setting. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, believe me, I'm going to use that. Uh, I like I like that word. I'm going to use that in one of my scripts here pretty soon as a cool throwback and there stuff. But yeah, like I, I got to tell you, like I, I am a big fan of that kind of stuff when like fictional towns seem to work their way into other works. And if there's any kind of Easter eggs or nuggets from mm-hmm. those other works dropped into whatever you're reading and stuff. For sure, so, for sure. 
Yeah. So like I, um, yeah, that was my thought process on this. Like it was a little bit, it was a little bit difficult to, uh, to get to where we are today, but, um, I think everything is going to turn out all right, which leads me to the, uh, the impressions section here. Actually, hold on. Let me make sure. Oh no, got one more thing to uh, get. Yeah. Just the order. And what what was the general reason for the order? Okay. So the general reason for the order is, um, it's more with Halloween three being at the end and the, what I'm going to get into at the very, very last section, um, has to deal with this glue that I think could hold everything together. My hypothetical okay. uh, glue for this universe and Halloween three works the best in terms of the final installment of a trilogy. I okay. feel. And, um, even just to, to give you something simple, I really do dig the fact that um, Halloween 3 had that ending where you don't really know what happens. And if I feel that if and I know that this is not like a a, like some new thing or whatever, even doing this like Halloween one and Halloween one ended like this. So there's not this isn't a new thing, but how I feel that ending is, I think provides the ultimate kind of bow on this trilogy and not knowing if this plan actually succeeded or not. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So just believe me, bear with me on this one. The theory it's very, very loose, but I'm going to do my, I'm going to do my absolute best here to, to glue these three movies together and stuff for sure. Gotcha. Cool. So going into the impression section, just a really quick question to lead it off with. And that is, what did you think of the trilogy choice? So I really thoroughly, I mean, I always enjoy watching Videodrome, uh, no doubt about that. And I really enjoyed having, being able to go back and cause I've seen, I know I've seen Halloween three at least once before and possibly a second time, but it was actually kind of interesting going back and watching it uh, sort of with the, it's kind of as you said, like this particular watch, I was already, I've already like pushed the fact that Michael Myers, you know, the Michael Myers thing, like out of my mind, um, and just kind of took it on its own thing. And it def- definitely is a totally different watch when you watch it in that frame of mind and don't worry about the fact that it has Halloween stuck on the title. Um, right. Makes it interesting. So I really enjoyed two thirds of this trilogy, and I'm kind of mad that you made me watch the video dead, but at the same time, I'm also excited to talk about it. And I'm, oh, I'm and I'm also good. very very curious to hear how you're going to tie this thing in. Okay, yes, I got to tell you, um, the video dead one. I'm actually kind of mad at myself on that. <laughs> that now, the um, in my quest to put a trilogy together in general. I found so easy to just, I could put two movies together, like no goddamn problem. Okay. Like I finding two movies that went together were, this was like so easy. Like if this was just like the double shot thing, my God, there could have been endless amount of possibilities and stuff, but I was really struggling to get a third movie in there. And with the video dead, this was one that like, God, I, I even tr- I tried to tie Demon Seed into this. Like I tried to uh, tie Chopping Mall into this whole thing. Like I, I kind of wanted something on the cheesier side, you know, something maybe like oh, a little I, bit. I would have gone Chopping Mall. Chopping Mall's fucking great. Okay, like um, that movie is one that. Okay, like, I just I couldn't I, I couldn't really tie it in as well as I could with with this particular. With the other two movies in, right. in my own, in my own. I understand. Anyway. I understand. Yeah. The, 
this could have been, and believe me, this whole theory at the end could totally, you could throw like a stick of dynamite at this thing and walk away without looking back at it. But like, it was such a, it was a hard thing for me to get that like middle movie and stuff. And this um, video dead one was kind of like just a process of elimination. I'm like, okay, let's get this. And I was like, maybe it won't be as bad. And no, it definitely was. It really fucking was. I was really surprised as to how bad this movie was, even for like the straight to video stuff. And I do want to like have just two questions really quick on like the straight to video stuff when we get to the end and everything. But that was my even that one was really difficult for me to like watch. I was like even I'm sitting there like doing my note taking thing and stuff and. I'm just like, Jesus fucking Christ, this movie is not over with. How the hell is this movie like even longer than an hour? So it was it was definitely a struggle. And like, believe me, I am mad at myself on that one. I just the whole thing with television, that's it just it kind of fits as far as like the the overall direction of this uh, letterbox trilogy and everything. So that could have been an excuse for you to watch Human Centipede 2 would actually fit in. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, like I, I still haven't watched the first one. Like I'm still getting around to that in my um, spooky season watching and everything. Um, so yeah, I, I understand. I believe me. I, I there's a, probably a couple of movies that could have fit here, but I, I wanted to keep everything in the '80s too. That was like something I was kind of hoping to stick with. So through this unusual process of elimination in my mind, we got stuck with Video Dead which um, I will outright say that that is the least enjoyable of the three. And um, I am in the same boat as you where two thirds of this trilogy, um, I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. So, okay. So do you have a favorite of the three? Well, it's not video dead. Um, in yeah. case that was, <laughs> um, it's video drone and it's not even close. Um, and I, I, don't, I won't, I won't dive super deep. Well, I'll get, I'll get kind of deep into this. It's Videodrome and it's because it's a commentary about something and specifically about how, and it's amazing because this, this movie is, you know, almost 40 years old and it could probably apply today that how media is transforming us on a macro level, how it's transforming society, but also like how it's transforming us on a personal level. And mm-hmm. in the way we, we seek out more content, the way we consume content, um, you know, it, it's, you know, what is that doing to us? What is that doing to society? Uh, you know, it, it just, you could, you know, the idea that it's, that it's all like focused on TV is obviously a very 1980s idea. It's almost, but you could just take out the, take out the mode of transmission and just consider media on its own. And it, it applies to like almost any, any particular era uh in the modern you know in the modern entertainment era oh dude you got that right man this uh movie definitely says a lot of stuff there's says a lot of things that are relevant today um i was this is my favorite one of the three two and i it had been we're going on over 20 years since i've seen this movie maybe even close to 25 and i know it's crazy to think that i saw this movie when i was 10 years old but that's what happens when your uh, parents go out of t- go out every night or every saturday night and everything so um with this particular, uh, with Videodrome, I mean, you could easily call this like my, my first time watching it. And I would say like, I would, I would, I would have to agree with you. Uh, this was fantastic. Um, if this were a cinema dissection, I pretty comfortable putting this as a perfect movie. I was just incredibly impressed by 
the intelligence behind this. And there was so much, so much to say and so much, not just, not like dumb, like, you know, dollar store type opinions and commentary, but there was like real, real like substance and intelligence behind this movie. And when you read science fiction, body horror and stuff is the first, um, you know, first line of the, uh, of the Wikipedia description while yes, it is that, but I just, I feel that it is like so much more. And I was so incredibly impressed with Videodrome um, this past time around. So that is easily my favorite of the three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hard. It's, it's really hard to disagree with that one. I like, I, I would, I want to hear the person that's like, no, nah, man, Halloween three was my favorite of all these. <laughs> right. I know it probably exists out there somewhere probably. in, in Twi- Macedonia or Twinsburg or hell, even in LA is some hipster trying to be too hipstery. But yeah, I mean, I, it's almost like, it's just like a no contest thing for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, mm-hmm. I was really, really just very happy with that selection. So what uh, patterns are, patterns or shared motifs um, did you pick up on in the course of this trilogy something that i really um that i really enjoyed um is how and and this this is any any movie that's about television kind of does this does this but especially in horror movies the tv is physically very central in all the homes of the rooms like it's mm-hmm. being presented as the most important thing there like and again like obviously the way we kind of put our, you know, we put our living rooms together or, you know, wherever, wherever you watch TV, you kind of do that anyway. But like in, in, in these horror movies, it's much more like, it's almost like it's like an idol sort of sitting in the room, like something very important beyond it just being a TV. Oh yeah, dude. The, the, the TV is just, it's used so beautifully in these three movies, even despite the video dead being what it is. I actually thought like what they were going with the television was actually quite good. Um, but it's just, it, there's, it's just layered in like so much stuff here. Okay. Like it, it means something different in each freaking movie, but it's like so prominent in each movie and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And this like consistent motif of television was just like I, I thought there was a lot of really great commentary on it. And I actually thought that in terms of how television is used, which we'll get into, I thought that this was done very, very well mm-hmm. um, in terms of just like overall ideas and stuff, which yeah. I, I really liked. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's so I'll, 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 here, let me, let me give you just a couple more quick ones here. And this is, I, I don't, I don't know if this is just sort of a way to, to sort of eat up, I don't know, eat up some time or whatever, but like, people speaking to the TV just, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it speaks back like in, in various cases it speaks back, but like this, and this is again, one of those, one of those, like especially 1980 staples where people just talk to the TV and I'm always just like, I, what are you expecting out of curiosity? Like, are, are you expecting to talk yeah. back? Which again, when it happens, you know, it's a, an interesting moment, but it's just a lot of people, uh, just a lot of people talking to the TV. Yeah, that's right, dude. Yeah, you got a lot of people talking with it. James Woods even makes out with it and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of uh, TV to person interaction that goes beyond what, watching. It and exactly, stuff. and, and Chema, you just set me up with a perfect segue to get my last little point out here, is that they they're presenting TV or you know the me, you know the particular medium of TV as something very interactive when it wasn't at this point in time, whereas mm-hmm. now it is extremely interactive. Um, and it's not just, it's not just TV itself, but it is the way that we handle media. You know, we can, 
in our palms, you know, watch videos that have just happened, interact with people who are involved with it, whatever. It's something that like, it's something that, that these creators were hinting at 40 years ago. That's now, you know, come to fruition now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Television is extremely interactive now. And like, it was the furthest thing from interactive back then. I mean, you saw like even James Woods setup and stuff. It's just like the box TV with the VCR on like a side kind of shelving unit and everything. And Mm -hmm. the most interaction that you actually have with it is getting up to turn the dials if you didn't have the remote and stuff. Or, Or my favorite, my favorite part of like one of my favorite things was his assistant sending him a taped you know itinerary for the day a taped taped agenda and i'm just like wow we just do that in video calls now yeah that's right oh my god even like yeah holy fucking shit yeah the idea of the video itinerary actually in the tape form was this was just like wow i totally forgot that they even would do stuff like that you know like why why carry around a notebook where you just like copy around a video a videotape or something like that over and over again and like i even forgot about the idea of these like video wake-up services and stuff Mm -hmm. that the you know that would have been around back then too and it was cool to see like some of these early you know examples of how this I like recording and stuff like that could be used for just like your practical everyday use, you know, beyond like beyond everyday stuff being like shooting movies. Well, they, I mean, at least they tried to use it, even if it didn't really fit that well. Um, they tried right. to use it because like, why not? I mean, this is also like the beginning of like video dating, too. So you mm-hmm. have like, which is, again, people like you, young people out there. And actually, really, this is even predates us like by a lot. But. Um, young people out there who have no idea there's instead of just like getting onto tinder uh for a hookup you actually had to like make a fucking video of yourself talking about yourself the things you like to do send it to a video service who would then have an expert send that video to someone else who th- they thought that would match up with yeah i know right and like oh my god i know that idea of video dating jesus christ like Insane. that would yeah like that was something like i knew you know of it but any type of like um TV shows or movies where that kind of stuff would have been a part of the plot. It, it kind of just like escapes me right now. Like for some reason, like I'm having a hard time, like just like pulling back the video dating reference you, like, out of the hat. But you know what my, you know what my video dating reference is? It's from, it's from mad TV, lowered expectations. Oh God. Those were great. Yeah. They? Yeah. Oh my God. I used to love mad. TV. I used to love early mad TV mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like they like actually used to watch it like live and everything. Mm-hmm so yeah just like another like just a couple easy ones that i have you touched on like the real big one with like television and everything um there's just some other ones that i noticed were like the the first two movies kind of like started off the exact same way with like the staticky and like kind of like the icon and everything mm-hmm. uh, it's just weird like i have a lot more of like things that happened in like two movies than between all three and once again sure. this is mainly because of the video dead and stuff so mm-hmm. um you know the um we have like the the element of like the broadcast single signal and stuff um in videodrome it is you know the signal that broadcasts the footage um this kind of like hidden no one knows where it came from and then they traced it back to pittsburgh i believe which was a well which was a ruse yes that's right right it, yes. it doesn't it go anywhere Okay, yeah, the, like, there's no real source of it, but they, right. the Pittsburgh thing, you're right, definitely. Um, and then in the end with uh, Halloween 3 and like the, you know, the big kind of giveaway event that we never really see, but um, there was, you definitely, 
the signal went out and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like the other one that I noticed, at least with like the um, with Halloween and Videodrome, is just once again this kind of like the science fiction element to it, which really added like to me it just added like another. I guess another reason to like watch this movie and stuff. And even with like the video drum and stuff, like I happen to really like the idea that they went with the TV, but it's not like science fiction enough or deep enough to, uh, to, for me to like feel comfortable, like putting it in with the other two in terms of like the science fiction elements and stuff. So I, I really like appreciated that um, these two movies there was some element of sci-fi that was that was present, not necessarily through the whole mo- movie, but um, it was it was there, and it was cool to see. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely, De- definitely. All right, so uh, let's do the standout character from each. Why don't you go start it off with? Uh, let's just go, you know, the the video drone, video dead, Halloween three. Okay, yeah. Um, I'm not going to give it to James Woods um, because it's it's been very it's not very apparent that James Woods just plays himself in everything. <laughs> Um, yeah. and he has been for like four decades. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely going to go with, uh, Debbie Harry's character, Nikki Brand as the standout from this, the, the person who sort of pulls him further into the world. And then, you know, is, is like his go-to hallucination. Um, yeah. it, it's a great performance. And again, like any, it, like it's a great performance. And like, if you didn't know, it's one of those things, I guess, I guess if you didn't know that Blondie was, you know, or what, who, who Blondie was. I think you would just assume that Debbie Harry was an actress all along. Mm-hmm. Like she's very solid in this. Yeah, there was. You never notice how, like, when musicians or any basically non-actors try to act, there's this almost like kind of like woodenness about them, mm-hmm. or unless they're playing basically like playing themselves. And there was nothing like that with her. Like she worked really, really well. And I got to tell you, like some of the whole like putting the cigarette out in her and the piercings and stuff, like. I was just like, wow, like she's like, I could believe this. Like, mm-hmm. there's nothing about this that is unbelievable to me. And for her only being in the movie for like, what is it? Like a short period of time compared to everybody else or compared to James Woods. I, I got to tell you, like, I thought that she was used absolutely perfectly. Mm-hmm. And I, I almost feel like no more, no less. The point was made, the job was done. And like, even like kind of her kind of showing up at the end and stuff, like, um, the via the video, I, I just thought it worked it worked out amazing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, on the other hand, I got to tell you, I'm going to go with James Woods on this just because this it's good to see at least it's good for me to have some kind of image of James Woods, like where I'm like, okay, I hate him now, but I I just liked his performance in this. Oh no, he's You're great. Right. He's like he's, he's definitely playing himself. He's great. You got that right. <laughs> yeah, and like I and now like as far as like what I prefer to remember James Woods as it's, it's going to be Lester from casino and, um, and this, uh, and Max from a video drone. And it was, mm-hmm. it was weird because I was like, you know, as I'm watching this, I'm just like, I don't really know who else like I could see in this role. Like he just did it so freaking good. It, it's, it is. <laughs> I mean, seriously, when you think of who's, who's kind of, who kind of has leading man charisma and looks, but is a scumbag, and it's like it's like James Woods and I don't know maybe I think Fred Ward could pull this off to some degree. I got younger you. Fred Ward, um, yep. but like but Fred Ward is not a scumbag in good reality. So like 
Right. There'd be a little bit of a disconnect. And like I and like I am thinking more of like Fred Ward from like uh from like Tremors and that kind of stuff. He's not mm-hmm. even even a scumbag, he's just like a lower class person. Yeah, yeah, and like there is something that like I could see I could see Fred Ward in it, but for some reason I'm not hearing Fred Ward. Like yeah. James Woods like James Wood had had this certain way of delivering the dialogue that was number one, very, very James Woodsy. Mm-hmm. But it was also kind of like smooth at the same time. There's a certain like smoothness to mm-hmm. some of the lines that he delivered that I don't think if those same lines were delivered by Fred Ward, that it would, that it would really have the same impact. I just don't think that their vocal styles match up so oh, well, for sure. but like I could definitely see him there and like in, in sight, it looks normal, but like when I hear it, it's just, it doesn't match up to me. Right. He doesn't cause he flatly, even, even with his normal voice, he does not sound like someone who could be from Canada. I think that's right. a big part of it. He sounds like a Southerner. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got that right. Definitely, definitely. So, what about the uh, the video dead? No one. Um, <laughs> this is. Uh, I mean, legitimately, no one. No one's performance stands out to me, and the characters don't really stand out. And this is a problem when you are making when you're an amateur filmmaker making an amateur movie with mm-hmm. only one. One person who had really even had any acting experience. Um, it's the the writer at the beginning, Michael St. Michael, um, mm-hmm. who probably, well, I don't know if you've, if you've ever seen it. Uh, I'd know him better from The Greasy Strangler from a few years ago. Okay, which is yeah, I haven't seen that. Black, dude, black comedy, it's great. Um, but, like, no one's performance really stands out for any, like, positive reason. There's a bunch of, like, confusing lines and things that people say all the time that, like, I I like distinctly recall and remember like I, I hold on I got I wrote a bunch of these down um, when what's the what's the girl he's crushing on is it April the the blonde girl yeah the dog y- yes it is April she just like randomly on like a phone conversation just goes my dad is sleeping with a maid how gross is that and then like they're <laughs> like all right well anyway goodbye and I'm like what is, what what does yeah. that have to do with anything um, right. You know, we have we have the the appearance of the garbage man um, in the in the uh, the video that the uh, the woman I don't think she has a title or as a has a name. It's just he, just slip, the woman, yeah, just the woman, right? Yeah, played by Jennifer Miro. Um, he appears and slashes her throat, and I'm just like, wait, who is this person and why is he here? And then we never see him ever again. And so like, there was just like a bunch of like confusing character choices that were like they stood out for like bad reasons, basically. Oh yeah, there was definitely like a lot of that going on there for fucking sure, dude. Like even even like the main characters like weren't like fleshed out all that well. Like I got the gist of what was going on. Yeah, you know? I mean at least the, the setup was very very easy, thank God. But like none of that stuff was all that complex. Like you couldn't even really buy into the um the, the kid being the hero at the end with the fucking bow and arrow and stuff and even like when um like I can't even remember some of these people's names. So it's just number one, not worth it. But when the guy like text <laughs> from Texas comes in the town, I'm like, okay, here we go. Maybe this guy has got something that could be like a little bit of intriguing. You know, like it's just he mm-hmm. came in like sort of in like the second act or whatever. So I'm like, okay, so this could be the guy that um the the know everything guy. You know, like the the dude that like gives right. us like a big explanation, mm-hmm. but. But he wasn't, and like he, they I, try to have him do it, but like even the explanations don't make sense. 
Yeah, I can't even remember what the hell they are. Like, I I know he tried. He said like the 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 TV. Um, he t- sent it somewhere after like it killed his wife or something, like to a paranormal institute. And I, I think that that's probably like the extent of like any like actual substance that he was able to provide. You know. Mm-hmm. And like, if I had to like throw a a character on this list just for the discussion's sake. I'm leaning actually with like the garbage man, because at least like the one thing, the one thing that I remember about like, cause no joke. Cause I remember him showing up and I was like, okay, here we go. A normal guy inside the video, inside the TV. And he did kind of provide some, some helpful stuff, but I thought he was going to come out of the TV and kind of be like a hero, you know, save the day. But then we just like never saw him again. There's, and he could have been oh, really sorry, great. He could, he could have been like a really great, a really great addition, you know, provided that he was the one well-written character, I would safely assume that he wasn't. But I just thought that like that, the whole thing, the guy, the normal guy being in the TV could have been a really cool angle to play, but they just that's, never did. That, that's what, that's where I assumed this was going. And instead they have a guy from Texas show up. Right. It doesn't right. make any sense at yeah. all. Um, there's, I mean, there is a ton that is wrong with this movie, but like, yeah, like I, all of the things that they could have done, it's and I'm assuming this is again because of cost and and uh, the time constraints that they had because this is one of those movies, um, not too unlike um, Peter Jackson's first movies that were like filmed on weekends when people right. had time to film them. Um, there's just things they couldn't do and like budgetary they couldn't do because like all of the things that I'm like it would make sense if you did this they just didn't do them. Mm-hmm. No, that's exactly right. And there were some of these things, like even at the fundamental level that were just really off. Like, I don't even know if the characters wanted anything. Like, I I, believe me, like, 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 I got to tell you, like, and I'm not going to totally go into be like a, um, a story foundationalist here because I do sort of admire, like, maybe a little bit of a twist where like the goals aren't like super clear. Maybe we get to know them and they kind of, we find it out along the way and stuff. You know, I admire a certain level of risk taking, but this wasn't risk taking. It was more or less just like outright fucking laziness. Like if you were to tell like every single like horror movie, no matter what it is, they all have like some kind of like unspoken goal that they're, you know, trying to achieve and stuff like that, you know, whether it be like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to get so-and-so's phone number, you know, I'm going to get her to go out with me, kiss me, whatever it is. something very simple. Um, I could, I couldn't identify any of that. So like, I, I think the only guy who maybe had a clear goal was the dude from Texas and he made it clear that he wanted the television back. Right. Right. He wanted the television back and, uh, Jeff, Jeff, Jeff wanted to bang blonde women that look kind of like a sister. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. But like other, but there's, there's nothing else like no. any of the other characters, like, and believe me, I'm not going to tell you that every other character needs goals either. Like dude, not every character has to have this stuff. But... Your main character should though. Yeah. Your, <laughs> like... your main, yeah. You're even like, in, even like in terms of like your, um, your antagonistic forces. And I know that this was going like with zombies and everything, but I, I guess I would have figured that there was a little bit more of a, um, a view on the zombies from like the macro, like a little bit of more of like the why yeah. thoroughly explained. And I mean, you could probably go online right now and find, I mean, I'm sure like the, I, the I, I 10 actually, other people. Chema, I actually like, there is a synopsis on Wikipedia 
and I guess it's partially informed by the writer, by Robert Scott. But, like, okay. as everyone knows, all the best movies are best explained on Wikipedia instead of watching them, right? <laughs> oh, believe me, that's the way it goes. That's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a huge fucking problem when, like, you have to provide clarification about your movie years after the fact. Right. No, that's exactly right. And when I was reading that um, synopsis on Wikipedia, it does almost look like now it didn't address everything, but it almost looked like there was some taking like what you said, like relying on the writer to kind of fill in like some gaps or to kind of give you one or two sentences here and there that were not in the movie. Right, right. It's sort of like it's it's kind of interesting because this is my second sort of experience with this recently. Like I, I stumbled across there's a there's a video interview with um, Stanley Kubrick talking mm-hmm. about what what his interpretation of the ending to 2001 A Space Odyssey means. Yeah. And oh, yeah. 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 You've, I'm sure you've seen it. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to get into that here because it's not really important. But it's just so funny how like we're t- I'm talking about it with with the video dead. And the reason why it's in the, the reason why you need clarification at the end of the video dead is because the script is incoherent. Whereas mm-hmm. in 2001 A Space Odyssey, it's working on it's working on ideas that are like it's not that they're incoherent. They just they're more experiential. Like yeah. watch it and fill in your own experience and your own thoughts for what it means, as opposed to the video dead. I'm literally just like I don't know what's going on. So like, right. can someone help me out, please? Oh, definitely. And is it is that video? It's a an audio recording, right? Or is he? No, it's, a video of him, seeing... it's, it's a video of him doing a telephone interview. That's what that's what it is. Okay, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah, like I, I remember that. I know exactly what you're talking about. And the difference, in, in my opinion, the difference between 2001: A Space Odyssey and this is just straight up fucking intelligence. <laughs> that is all that. <laughs> Amongst occurs. other like, things, yeah, yeah. Um, when it comes down to it, it, at its core, it is a fucking just a matter of in, intellect behind the writing and everything like that. Right. And that that is how you do something that is open for interpretation. Like if you're ever going to talk about how to leave something open for interpretation. The last like two minutes of 2001 a space odyssey. That's how you fucking do it right there. Absolutely. All right. So, um, sorry, sorry to totally derail oh, us there, but oh, no, 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 we're going to, it's going to happen often. Cause like, believe me, I'm like, I am very, very happy that there's this hostility with the video dead on your end of this conversation. Cause I have, I have it too, believe me. And like there, there is like, if you know, Adam could go back in time, like I, Believe if I if I could go back in time, I would somehow find a way to rework that. I definitely That's fine. would. But um, going into Halloween three, who's the standout character for you? Uh, I, I had to go with uh, Conal Cochran, uh, played by Dan O'Hurley, uh, probably more famously from RoboCop. Um, but hmm. yeah, his sort of sort of you know I'm waiting for uh, you know when you're watching the movie, you're kind of waiting for the reveal of of the final boss of the big bad and having that sort of that sort of professional type actor with like a really good presence makes his does actually make the con the convolutedness of what's going on at least Mm -hmm. seem very sinister and his final speech is actually pretty great that he's giving to um uh that he's giving to uh dr chalice yeah 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 yeah. um like yeah like that final speech is actually like pretty good Oh yes, it is, dude. Definitely, and he—he he was mine as well. Um, okay. This char—this character to me was just like the only person that I thought that was like worthy of their screen, like the screen time that like 
this is a guy who just like commanded the screen when he was on it compared to everybody else who was there. And believe me, like I like Tom Atkins, like oh, he's I, totally I fun. saw him in the fog. He's totally cool and stuff, yeah. but this like really cool, like professional character with, uh, you know, that there's way more to him even before you meet him. that um, this guy here was just like the real like show stealer and stuff. Mm-hmm. This was like the, basically like the ultimate contrast compared to the other two Halloween movies. And like, I'm not saying that like, you know, Oh my God, this was so genius or whatever. But like this to me was this character to me was like one of the reasons to like, you know, to show up and, and also like to stick with the movie and everything. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It, it's just amazing. And I know we've, I know we've talked about it in uh, what we covered uh, my trilogy. It's just amazing when, when the lines are delivered by like a real professional actor, just mm-hmm. how how different they sound and like how different they feel. Um, right. Because I could imagine if if you had whatever the discount version of Dan O'Hurley is, I could imagine like he still looks the same and maybe has some of the same menace, but it just it it, it just wouldn't be the same. Like the way he delivers right. it is just fantastic. Yeah, definitely, dude. And I, I completely buy him as the, the leader of like the Silver Shamrock Company and everything. Mm-hmm. Like there's just it was just totally believable. It was like some of the other characters, like it wasn't like as it wasn't like as believable, I thought. You know, and like it, there's really like nothing wrong with like the, the the choice of acting. Like I said, I really like Tom Atkins. Tom Atkins fucks as we've seen from the fog and the and this movie and stuff. I, Tom but, Atkins fucks women much younger than him too. Yeah, he does. I man, I just seventies most seventies and eighties must just have been a different time. <laughs> Mustaches, I'm telling you. I, like but, I mean, like legitimately, like I was when um, after they after they have sex after he and um, uh, Ellie have sex and uh, what's that actress's name? Stacy Nelkin. I was I was just like I'm actually legitimately going to look up because he goes, "How old are you?" And I'm kind of and she goes, "I'm older than I look." And I actually kind of like looked it up for a second. I'm like, how old is this actress in this movie? Because like, he is visibly twice her age. I mean, visibly mm-hmm. twice her age. And he literally oh, that, was twice her age at that point in time. Oh, yeah. It would have had to have been the same thing with Jamie Lee in The Fog, too. Like, she mm-hmm. had to easily be half of his age and stuff like that, you know? And like, and this guy, like, like I, I enjoy him, you know? Like I, I, like, I enjoyed some of the secondary characters. Like, some of the people in the town, I thought, gave a lot of uh, atmosphere. But yeah. The, the the Conal Cochran guy is by far yeah. like just the the most intriguing here. As, as, as with, with most movies, usually the bad guy the bad guy is yeah for <laughs> sure just kind of how it happens to be. So if we're going from um, a standout moment of each, um, well, what would you lead it off with with video drum? I you know, as much as I want to get into the special effects stuff, I really upon this watch, especially since you know like I. I you know, since I knew kind of what you're going to go, since I knew like the the general idea for what your trilogy was going to cover, I was watching this in a different frame of mind. And the first Brian Oblivion speech that we get, where he's on, where quote unquote he's on the uh, the TV show with Max Ryan and Nikki Brand. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I should have written down the whole speech here, but like there's a, just a part that really like sticks out about how he's talking about the way you know like reality is, TV is more real than reality, and reality is less than television. But there's a really funny, there's a really interesting part that sticks out where, you know, he says, like, you know, my Brian Oblivion is just my TV name and soon we'll all have TV names. And I was just like, yeah, we do. We all have Mm -hmm. um, our social media handles. We all have our, you know, like our nickname, like our nicknames that we present ourselves, our gamer tags. If you if you game, we've all created those since 1983. 
Yeah, no, that's a good fucking point, dude. Yeah, once again, just leading into some of the um, the higher intellect, almost like ahead of its time mm-hmm. type uh, type statements. And it's like, it's weird how just like when you, I, I guess, and I'm not going to like totally like shit on Canada, but there's just like certain connotations, I guess, with Canadian television or Canadian movies and stuff. Like, I just don't necessarily associate this kind of intelligence with Canadian stuff. But it is like between like I, between like some of the the expanse and and this movie like I mean there's some real like intelligence behind C- Canadian filmmaking. Well, in fairness, the the writers of the expanse are Americans. They are Americans. Okay, I gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, but so, otherwise, like, but otherwise, a Canadian production. Yeah, so like I just. I always just think of I think of Shit's Creek. I think of Letterkenny. Like I, I guess I could just go with maybe more with comedy stuff, which is which is intelligent in its own way. I would I would say like I would say level. that that would to the rest of the world that would be Canada's biggest export would be their comedies, like for sure. Gotcha. I think that's what most people think about. Yeah, yeah, definitely, dude, for sure. And like, yeah, that was a that was a really great part there. And like, I you know I will tell you that um, I. Didn't think that the guy only existed in videotape. I thought that was a really cool twist um, mm-hmm. that that we got a little bit later on in the end and everything. But, and it's um, well, and, and real quickly here, and it's just one of those things like this is sort of the precursor to all the um, like right now we're getting not not right now. It's been going on for a few years, but um, the the deep fake videos um, and or it also gets called synthetic media. That Brian Oblivion is like early synthetic media or early deep fake. Yeah, that's a, that's another really good point. And another just another fucking thing about this movie predicting something that is 100 percent right about the world today. And yet the deep fake thing is just it's getting out of control. Like they're, they're just getting really, really good with it now. And it's only going to get better. Mm-hmm. And my uh, my personal standout moment, which um, I had overlooked some of the body horror elements and like. I happen to have loved just the scene with James Woods and the wound and sticking the videotape in there and everything. Like this was, I was like really waiting for like this, this body horror stuff to kind of kick in and everything. And that was just like one of the coolest scenes of the movie to me. It was just like him and like just these, you know, it's obviously 1980s effects or whatever, but like who the hell cares? Like I still thought it looked awesome. It's yeah. His, uh, and let's call it what it is. It's a fucking vagina. Uh, on right. his chest. Um, I mean, that's that's definitely what it's supposed to be. Um, mm-hmm. But like, yeah, it, it it's sort of like does it? Yeah, like you can if you really look closely, you can kind of pick out, you know, how James Woods is sort of sitting in like this harness, and like that's like a part of the couch or whatever. You can, I mean, like if you're like slow it down and look at it, you can really pick it out. But like, mm-hmm. it's still that that those that effect still held up for like the better part about like 15 or 15 years or so until we started getting into more of the the digital effects that that would be replaced by which you know in the 90s those were hit those were hit and miss but like the fact that that stood up as well as well as it does for so long and still still like you know you know that it's fake but it still looks pretty cool like who cares yeah right exactly it's not like that um that period of time from like like probably like 89 to like maybe like 97 98 where the CGI was very, very hit or miss. You're either getting, you're either getting like one thing that looks awesome for like 10 seconds, or you're getting a bunch of stuff that just looks like really bad and totally obvious that it's a a digital effect. But this for being like a practical effect, I think holds up very, very well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So what do you think about um, the video dead in terms of standout moments? I I am going to give them some props that the, the, the where they did spend their money on the one zombie emerging from the TV that was definitely pretty cool. 
I, I will give yeah. them props for that. That was definitely very cool. Yeah, definitely. Like the um, if I'm not mistaken, I think somewhere in the Wikipedia page it does mention how like at least some of the zombie stuff like looked cool or whatever yeah. as far as like any positive. So like, I got to give it to them. Like that, I thought I actually thought the one main zombie that they focused on looked really awesome. Um, I did like the 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 effects with the TV and stuff. Like I mean, if there was any like I guess praise that one could give this movie, it could it would be like in the in the effects department. That yeah. is for sure. And like with me personally, like um, I just like I went to this moment at the end where they're all kind of having like the, the dinner and stuff. Mm-hmm. It just kind of reminded me of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre to a certain degree. Like, you know, they, it yeah. wasn't anywhere as cool. But like this little quirky kind of dinner thing or whatever, like I, I thought was just like a nice little standout unexpected moment for me. Yeah, the, it definitely it was definitely unexpected. And it was kind of honestly, it was like one of the more um, that whole sequence where uh is her name Zoe? It is the Zoe. main the lead. Yes, played by Ray. I know. I know the actress is Rachel Augustin. It's the only thing she ever did. Um, but uh, yeah, when Zoe it, like invites them in and sort of it does sort of turn the whole movie on its head in a kind of mm-hmm. an interesting way. Um, so yeah, like I, I'm with you on that. Like it was definitely like an an interesting little moment in this movie. Yeah, like there had to be at least one positive thing to pull out of, <laughs> pull out of this whole experience. So, what about uh, Halloween three? I'm gonna I'm again loved Conal Cochran's speech about Sam Hain and the child sacrifices, but I actually also really liked the child sacrifice that we got to see. Um, considering it was considered like I, I guess I just don't remember it that well, but like considering it was kind of other until it becomes really grotesque, it wasn't grotesque. You know, mm-hmm. like where the kid is actually getting the signal and like he's the the Stonehenge, I don't know, magic dust is activating and right. cursing him, I guess. Um, like it's kind of like it's kind of like you're like, ah, it's kind of shitty looking. And then when all the bugs and snakes and shit start to like emerge from like his like gaping head, that was fucking cool, actually. Like I was kind of like, oh, right. I forgot about this part. Yeah, that was mine, too. I totally forgot about that. I was like, I was kind of like, when is this movie going to get like like kind of scary like when are we actually gonna right. like see some of the stuff you know and i had totally forgotten about that and then um the other thing on top of me forgetting about that particular scene was i had totally forgot about the fact that everybody in the else in the room dies too yeah so that was that was something where it clicked with me and i'm like okay now this like there's another like kind of cool element to this whole thing too like i, I just i wouldn't you know it's been as long as it's been since I've seen the movie. Like, no joke. The only thing that comes into my mind is like the mass and the silver shamrock song. And you know, oh, God, like the big song. plot. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe <laughs> we had it a lot in the movie. <laughs> like, gee, I thought that, and I thought after the third time you heard that thing, you do is annoying. I'm like, Jesus God, like, man, I was like time number two or like after time number two with the song, I was like, Oh yeah, we're going to be in the, in this for the long haul. Mm-hmm. And uh, so like, I, I basically had forgotten a lot about the stuff. Uh, I've forgotten a lot about the, um, that stuff with, with it being killing everybody, not just the, the kids and stuff. So that was a, a kind of like a cool surprise and my standout moment of the, uh, the movie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So, um, did you have a standout effect? And if you have it for one movie, that's great. If you have all three, I, I just basically, I just wrote down one. So, yeah, you know, I, I just had it. Um, I just, I, I, you know, you already, we already talked about it, but I did like, uh, Max Ren's, uh, chest vagina. Um, mm-hmm. the continual use of it was just like an, and it's, it's a standout special effect. And I also just like the way that it was much like, 
like a VCR, but also like a vagina, how they're going to impregnate him with, with their ideas. Um, yes. So, you know, when he becomes the assassin or whatever, like that's like the mode, that's like the mode of like delivering it to him. I just, mm-hmm. just fucking cool. It's just great. Yeah, I really like that. I'm my personal standout effect was just the stuff with like the bubbly TV and everything like the TV kind of like, you know, actually having like a real like personality to it and mm-hmm. like just its movements and stuff. And even like the, the the first shot of like one of the videotapes, like where um the videotape is like looks evil and everything. And then it doesn't like I was like, wow, like I totally forgot about this stuff, too. So like having the, that little monstery element with the television and the tapes were, were my standout effects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you on that one. I, I mean, I think, um, I think, it, 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 realistically speaking, I don't know how you can necessarily pick from the other two movies. Not because like H three doesn't like. It's just like it's not effects heavy. So right, you know, you yeah, it's hard to. Yeah, I couldn't even think of like. I mean, anything that would be a standout. It's. It's nothing that is like standing out for discussion's sake. You know, we're probably talking about some explosions and like the stuff with the insects and everything. Like, but that was with the standout moment that we yeah. talked about. So, I couldn't put like a I couldn't put a definitive one on Halloween three. And I'm not even going to go with it. I'm not, just not even going to acknowledge the. <laughs> we already the, talked the, about the, it. The, it's, the, it's, the, it's the dude trying to come through the TV. Like that's, yeah, that's right. That was it. Yep, yeah, that's it. So, would you order them differently? Okay, so I actually would. Um, I mean. First off, I wouldn't include Video Dead. Uh, I'm not really sure what I put in its place, but but let's just say, let's for argument's sake, let's just keep it in the middle. But I, I personally would actually switch um, Video Drum to the end and have Halloween three at the beginning, simply because I feel like um, Halloween three is exploring how someone can use a TV signal to manipulate, whereas mm-hmm. Video Drum is exploring sort of the finality of that to me, which is how yeah. the signals are eventually going to change us. Yeah, I got you on that. That's really, really good stuff, dude. And like, I, part of me had thought about that, but like, I, the way that I'll explain it at the end will hopefully shine a little bit of light as to my thought processes of the the order and stuff for sure. Okay, so let's move into the next section of the discussion where we talk about the trilogy connections. And um, this right here, you know, just like yours was the, um, area of the outline we're going to kind of talk about some of the things that hold these movies together some consistent themes between the between all three first one that we're going to talk about is our relationship with technology so what statements do you feel these three filmmakers david cronenberg tommy lee wallace and robert scott are making about the human relationship with technology i think um with cronenberg for sure it's more about what will happen to us you know as we become as in this case, using you know, using TV as sort of the uh, as the mode for for this question, it's mm-hmm. what's going to become of us as as this becomes more ever present in our lives. As everywhere we go, there's going to be a screen. Everywhere we go, there's going to be TV. We're going to be you know not only are, are are we going to not only are we looking at it, we're also going to be on it. Um, you know what does that do to us? You know mentally as a society, like that's sort of like the exploration. That's sort of the statement you know, exploring that like this, or I guess positing that like, it probably can't be a good thing that Mm -hmm. this medium is becoming more and more ubiquitous in our lives. Right. Yes, definitely dude. Yes. The whole idea of what this whole thing could do to us and television becoming our reality, which in case we haven't like, you know, you and I have talked about this many a times, but there's like a whole specific section of the country that is having a reality made by 
having their reality constructed through mm-hmm. a television network or three television networks to get a little specific on that. Yeah. So yes, it is definitely this whole thing about like what television, what, what it can do to us. And like, you know, once again, going back with some of the predictions and everything that this movie has, has made, it, it makes me wonder like if anybody ever thought that other than the people who wrote this movie, if it ever thought that it would get like this, you know, just like with us having even like our phone, like the technology just like on our phones and stuff. And um, it is so interesting as to like what, the having the screen and like kind of like how the homeless people were in the movie where they were just exposed to television all the time. Like that's, you know, it's very, very reflective of like the times that we're living in today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about you? Okay. Oh yeah. So yeah, mine right there. Yes. Going in with that. Oh, okay. Yes. The, the idea of like just what this television can do, this idea of television becoming our reality is just such an, in front statements and everything like that, that David Cronenberg is trying to make. And we've, we've highlighted a bunch of um, things already, you know, just to kind of support that and stuff. So yeah, I'm in, I'm in this bandwagon too. So um, what do you think about the, the video debt? Uh, Robert Scott is saying, what if shit came out of your TV? Right. That's exactly right. That's pretty much it. Like that's, there isn't too much, there isn't too much other thought beyond that because the ideas that he could have chased down, he just didn't. Be, be mm-hmm. they because of you know budgetary constraints or whatever else, um, or just he just wasn't thinking about it at the time. Um, like the the things that he could have chased down, they're a little bit more interesting. He just didn't. So basically, what if some shit came out of your TV? <laughs> right, exactly. And like you make a good point there. Like there were some things that I think about that like in terms of television as like a conduit for stuff that is you know I think that he could have done the writing a little bit more, like made a similar statement that maybe that they're trying to make in Halloween three, but I, but they didn't do it in the video dead. I think if you, out of the three movies, the statement that's being made with video dead or could have been made with video dead, I feel would be a little bit closer to Halloween three than the video drone, but it's just, this is just like a, a kind of like a, what if zombies in the, the television right. story and everything for sure. Right. I, I like, I really thought, and it's funny cause I actually really thought that you could have met, you could have made a similar, a similar uh, you could have gone the, like if, if you could have gone the route of videodrome to some degree and saying like okay so what if you know what if this tv is mirroring our reality so like the shit from the tv you know the zombies or whatever come out and then you have to be a part of the movie mm-hmm. like that's oh yeah that's sort of i mean that's like sort of implied <laughs> by like again if you go like all good movies go look at the wikipedia and it'll explain some shit to you um and like it's like that's supposed like we're when we see the zombies in the TV, we're seeing the beginning and the ending of a movie, uh, zombie blood nightmare, and mm-hmm. it would have been a, an interesting commentary if you know like we had these, especially if you'd showed it first, like you'd made Zoe and Jeff like you know like all they're doing is watching TV, and all they're doing is watching horror movies. So then they have to like then so then the horror movie comes out and they have to use what they've seen on TV to survive the horror movie. Right. That's yeah, a commentary, exactly. <laughs> but yeah. we don't get that at all. Yeah. It's crazy. Like there's an, are you afraid of the dark episode that it's, it's, it's not TV, it's books, but it's like the exact same thing. Like, you know, stuff from books coming to life. Yeah. And they, they seem to make a better commentary in this. Are you afraid of the dark episode than they do in this video dead movie? <laughs> so. right, right. Exactly. I, I mean, it's just, <laughs> 
again, like uh, to me, that seems like a pretty easy pivot. Uh, like, like okay, right. so like let's just have the movie come out, and then they have to survive the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Yes, and like it almost feels like something that like like a John Carpenter would have wrote or something like mm-hmm. if that would have came out that way, but it didn't. And uh, <laughs> which can bring me to the next one, which is uh, with Halloween three. What do you think is going on there? I just sort of you know it's I think this is a little bit more simple, but sort of the the fact that like our, our mass communication systems can reach p- people so quickly, um, probably in, in the 1970s and 80s, this was like a little bit more concerning to people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, now that like we are constantly being touched by mass communication systems, but like it's just how easily you can send a message, be it, you know, like, you know, maybe this is a little bit more prescient uh, now, but like how easily you can send a message before um, anyone can like stop that message. No, that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah, and like you're right in the 1980s or whatever. This is probably and this might have been even a sort of like a newer thing back then. But you know, today we're just so conditioned with it. I mean, we're, we'll know what happens in Indonesia just via Twitter and stuff like that. If there was anything newsworthy, I, I work for a company that tries to make that happen for its clients. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yes, you, you do exactly that. That's right. Definitely. Yeah. So like, I'm, I'm definitely hearing what you're saying about like the, um, the strength of like the signal and the mass communication and everything. I think that's a really, really great, um, a really, really great point that you're making here. And I went some, with something just like a little bit simpler. And that mm-hmm. is like television, like it, it can do something. It could be a conduit for something. And like, particularly with, um, with their focus on Halloween mass and children that, you know, television like could be something that is like harmful to kids. It could be harmful to our society, uh, you know, just just by even being there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like sure. that this having there and having it in your house and not like, you know, being disciplined or whatever. It could be it could be something that is harmful to you. I gotcha. Oh, yeah. No, that, that makes that also makes perfect sense. Absolutely. Yeah. So like I, I figured, you know, that Videodrome and H3 were the out of the two were making the biggest statements um the videodrome video dead uh definitely not so much but i do feel that like videodrome out of the three is making the best statements out of out of all for sure movies. and you know and, and and just one more rag on, on video dead here it's not that like you need to have some deep statement but kind of like what you said like it, it you need to have every your characters need to have some kind of motivation especially your main characters um and then like you need to you need to have some kind of direction for the reason why things are happening and like right. there just there really isn't any of that doesn't exist by the way who who would you say is the main character in video dead like if i had to pick i would have to be um roxana Alganesh or whatever like uh, zoe like I, I think it's either her or the brother but i would is have it? to be <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> yeah I, again you know you're right because in the beginning you get that little like the horror tease, you know, where yeah. it's just like the, the one character and stuff who, who, ha- you know, just to show what's going on. And I got to tell you, I even thought that that guy was going to be the main character, like, you know, up until he, he died or whatnot. But mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't really get like any like clear sense of that at all. And dude, you're right, man. Like you don't have to make, you don't have to make some deep statement. You know, there are some times where I even feel that that could be like a little bit too preachy and, there are some times where I just don't want a lot of like latent metaphor and all right. that stuff and, and entertainment, yeah. but it's got to have like some basic fundamentals here. And when you and I are having a discussion where it's hard to identify the way least the main character, yeah, we got some <laughs> issues. <laughs> I mean, if, if I you're right, it could be Jeff, it could be Zoe. If you even told me it was 
the the Texan the the cowboy stereotype, I would probably be like, yeah, that's actually that's actually plausible as well. Yeah, they just did something really cutting edge, and they introduced him in the second act. Like, yeah, this movie was ahead of its time. <laughs> oh god. Anyway, right. so, <laughs> sorry. What so what are uh, any advantages in using horror compared to other genres to, to tell these stories about our relationship with technology? It, it, it's it's the easiest way to tell or present the nefarious side of human advancement when it's tied, you know, like would like we see all the futures and, and, you know, a lot of sci-fi, like the positive futures of like what technology can do. Um, when you tie it to a horror movie, it's easy to go like, sure. You know, maybe ubiquitous TV is a good thing for getting information, but like also what is being connected to the TV 24 seven doing to us? Um, right. You know, like the, like when, when Brian Oblivion ta- talks about the, his condition and how he, he grew that brain tumor um, and, he, and he blames it on Videodrome. That's like a, that's like a, that is a not so subtle uh, metaphor for the way technology and TV is warping us. Um, mm-hmm. That we are, you know, we're living with tumors, you know, like this, we're living with like what, it, this growth inside of us that like, it's there now, it's ever present. Like, and it, it is when you think about it, because you and I just both kind of mentioned, like, we don't really, obviously like we were, we we were born and lived a, a big chunk of our lives before, you know, before before uh, smartphones and everything else. However, we grew up with constant television, with constant entertainment, with constant screens in front of us before. So we were born with those tumors that they that they talk about in video in video drum. Oh yeah, without a doubt, dude. Like it was. We had, t- you know, we, we had a TV in the house growing up. We had like, you know, one point in time, multiple TVs, then throw in the computer and stuff like, yeah, we were, this is like ingrained in us from, from early on and stuff like mm-hmm. that. You know, it's almost just like this part of American culture, you know, to a certain degree. And I know not everybody is, you know, like has, not everybody has a TV for either financial purposes or for hipster purposes. And like the, the hipster types kind of bug me, but at the same time, I'm like, man, you know, you just want to zone out in front of the TV for a couple hours. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we all have that, like that tumor and everything like that. And in, in some way, shape or form, like I, I would have to say that my own and maybe certain elements of your reality have been shaped and molded by television and stuff for sure. I, I, I know mine is definitely. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And like, no, and that's really good, dude. And like, for me, like, I, I honestly figured that this is the only way to like really tell these kinds of stories. It's like, you know, how often does a movie like her come along where it's like a drama and so about a relationship with technology that actually works and is entertaining. It doesn't happen all that often. And I, feel that horror is just like like why like why even take the time there's no conflict and drama in the good sides of technology you know like oh my god like i now get emails faster there's no fucking drama in that so like what are you gonna do like the supercomputer makes everybody's life better and that's it no the only real way to explore our relationships with technology in an entertaining way i feel is the horror maybe slide or science fiction genres yeah no it's i mean if you want to present the bad things you know, you want to like, I, and I, well, you want to present the bad things and the, the, some of the reality is that like a lot of the bad things about like, you know, our advancements in technology, they're kind of like minimally bad. Like they're not mm-hmm. like, I shouldn't say they're minimally bad, but like, um, you know, we like right now we're, we're one of the biggest things is like controlling our own data, you know, our privacy. Um, like there's no like, like, you know, we're you and I guarantee you have been involved. Some of our information has been involved in a data breach recently. 
Guarantee it. Oh yeah. Like it's, oh, it's happening. It happens um, twice a year to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, it like it just happens that way. But like, what's did you like start bleeding out of your ears? Oh no, actually no. I didn't. Uh, not so, at all. I like had some identity theft, but that's it. <laughs> nothing like that happens. But what if? What if there's someone out there who can steal your identity and like, but like steal your personality? And Mm -hmm. like, like there's, you know, like, let's take this to like a really, a really dark conclusion, like logical conclusion, like where someone can steal someone's entire, like, not just their, like their, their credit card number, social security. What if someone could like take over your body and like live in your life? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like talented Mr. Ripley style or something. If I think that's movie, but that's about. Well, not like that. Thinking more of like possessor. Oh, okay. I gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Horror movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, what the fuck. That's not a horror movie with Matt Damon and Jude Law. Come on. They're I mean, it's horror together. like a thriller, but like, like, have you ever seen Possessor? Oh, I don't think I have. No. It's uh, Brandon Cronenberg, uh, David Cronenberg's son, and it's about um, an assassin that can, after they like secretly implant something in a target, she can take over the the body of someone to commit uh, to commit murders. Oh, okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. It, it sounds like something else I am drawing a total blank on right now, but yeah, I, that actually sounds pretty fucking dope to be honest with you. And that's, and that's, if you want to take that back to a, like a really simplistic thing, that's identity theft. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that's exactly right. That is definitely but right. But like that's, I, you know, just making a movie about someone losing fucking $5,000 out of their bank account isn't fucking scary. Someone, someone taking over someone else's body, committing murders, that's fucking scary. Right, that's scary, and it actually sounds like a movie instead of something that just happens every single day in real life, you know. And and right. that's why I feel that like these genres are just so, it's just so ripe for this kind of stuff, you know. Like I, that's and it's also like, it shows exactly how like good movies like her are. And like I, I said before, that is like one of my favorite movies and stuff. We we did our best of the decade, and um, it's just that's that's like lightning striking, you know, that's not going to strike twice. And it might even be years before we see, it'll be years before we see anything that even resembles that movie is what I'm saying. So like, I think horror is the way to go. Mm-hmm. I would agree with you. Definitely. All right. So in your opinion of uh, which of the three movies makes the most accurate statement about the relationship with technology? I mean, it's definitely video debt. Um, <laughs> oh man, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you just tape mirrors up to your television, uh, nothing can get out. Um, which again, that could be like an interesting metaphor for something, but it just wasn't. Uh, but yeah, what is the, I know that with the mirror thing again, I didn't get that. I did no idea why they did it. What made the zombie? Like, I, I, I feel that that is like one of those things that like, you have to read the Wikipedia page to get the clear, the clear knowledge of what was going I on. I think folks, I think what we're saying is read the Wikipedia page for the video dead and you'll get, a, you will legitimately get more out of it. Than watching the movie because yeah. it is fucking confusing. Yeah, and then after that, just start reading Wikipedia summaries for all movies, including the new Dune. That's and, way better. Exactly. <laughs> um, no, like, okay. So seriously, though, I, I really think that, like, I, I really do think the Videodrome is the one that's like. I mean, it's a, it's ahead of its time. Even if it's not, it's really hard to prove. There was this sort of this like fear in the 1980s and 90s that more exposure to to, to various uh, types of media content was going to make us more violent or more sexual or more whatever. And it's just never panned out. Like you can for certainly you can blame certain individual situations and individual cases on certain things. Like, you know, uh, you know, a, a, a mass murderer, um, you know, being inspired by a movie or something like it does happen. 
but like at a mm-hmm. broad scale way, it doesn't, it's never panned out. It doesn't matter how much you study this. It doesn't pan out that way. Um, if that was the case then the murder rate would have been going up since, right. since TV and stuff became so popular. And instead it's been going down every year since then, um, uh, for the most part. So, so like for me, Videodrome, even though it's a little bit, you know, we're, we haven't become like this weird savage, um, this weird savage society, um, that, you know, that, that the people behind Videodrome want to cleanse, um, we are, we have been irrevocably changed by the way TV and media has interacted in our lives. Like we are, we are for certain a different society than we were in 1983. Oh, that's exactly right. Yes. And like my, my answer to this one was obviously Videodrome and just to kind of piggyback off of some things you said there is that, yeah, man, like this whole thing about television changing our landscape and reality is just a hundred percent on point. Like it is so goddamn on point. And like you want to talk Fox news, you could even throw the same thing in there with certain like with left wing stuff. This is like a universal thing. This isn't just necessarily reserved for one side of a political spectrum. This is like every single person. And the way that the entertainment industry is, is just it's like colossal even compared to what it was in 1983. So this whole movie, I think, is just almost like this, like, you know, type blueprint type thing as to like what is going to happen as a result of our relationship with television. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Definitely dude. So the next, uh, the next like kind of theme was television as an ant- antagonistic force. And how does the use of television as an ant- antagonistic force differ in each of the three films? Well, like uh, again, video debt has no idea like exactly what's going on with its own portrayal of the TV. Uh, although, I, although it is obviously an antagonistic force. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, like, it's, I mean, it's literally trying to kill them. Um, so like, like, okay, right. that's going on. But like, it, it, for me, I actually, I don't see, I don't see, um, Halloween three as necessarily like the TV being an, as an antagonistic force. What I see it is as a delivery system that could be used for, by an antagonistic force. Like it's, it's just gotcha. a means. Um, yeah. it's neither good nor bad, but when it's in the, it's in the hands of someone bad, they can use it very easily to commit, um, you know, to commit mass murder, to commit mass harm. Um, which again is actually, was that the intent necessarily? Was that like the, the, the deep down message necessarily? I don't know, but I think that like that, that's something you can pull out that resonates today. Um, mm-hmm. whereas I do think Videodrome 100% is positing that TV is harmful, that too much of it is harmful. That at some point in time, reality and what we see on TV are going to be sort of, you know, what's the difference, basically. Right. And that sort of, to some degree, is uh, has happened in, in various, uh, in various, in the ways that we variously consume media, uh, mostly thinking about social media. It's kind of happened that way. Yeah, no, that's a really good point with the social media um, element of it and stuff. And, like, there are certain... I get, there are certain people that could easily be completely different personalities on social media compared to, to the real world. And even with the way that information is delivered on social media, it's, um, you know, like somebody could be easy, easily be influenced by, you know, a lot of like fake headlines and misinformation and stuff like that. Um, yeah, no, I, you're, I'm definitely picking up what you're putting down there in terms of the social media and then everything. And like, I, I happen to think that they're, um, the, one of the biggest things that they're trying to say is just, is like, is influence and everything. And like the influence of, um, of, of television, like up, upon our lives that the television here is like an influencer and like the way that it 
it shapes our reality. And even just like, man, I got to tell you, like the whole part where James Woods just like hits her and stuff, you know, like hits um, the woman who's coming over to bring over that video itinerary. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, definitely like a hallucination. I'm not going to lie. I personally thought that he actually hit her, you know, just because it's James Woods and everything. It's probably (laughs) something he does regularly. But but um, but like, let me tell you, like. How crazy was it where it's just like, yeah, I'm sorry for hitting you, you know, and that was and even back then that might have been just like an acceptable thing between like uh, an employer and an employee, you know, like, oh, he hit me. Oh, sorry. He apologized. Now here's your tape and I'll see you on Monday, you know? Yeah, uh, no, for sure. And real quickly, I'm glad you brought that up because I wrote that down like three different times that like there is so much ass grabbing and manhandling of women in the 1980s. Um, Mm -hmm openly and brazenly like so um tom akins tom akins sleeps with sleeps with the young girl um you know grabs the one black nurse's ass and gives like gives a kiss to the coroner the you know the medical examiner and tells her that he'd love to take her out for dinner or he's always ready for dinners with her and i'm like jesus christ like i don't you could just like do that to people to women in public in the 1980s interesting and then you have James Woods in like in the middle of a television interview, you know, basically blowing off the interview to flirt with Debbie Harry, which I understand, but like, mm-hmm. like okay, like Jesus Christ, like this is ridiculous. I know, man. Like it is to think that like that is the type of character persona that like people were hungry for is is even sort of like beyond me when we look at like the way that characters are written today and stuff and even like people who are like the quote unquote like womanizer characters like they're not like that you know like they're like womanizer characters that somehow like seem to respect women without respecting them all like at the same time Mm -hmm. and this was just like you know, even for like the 1980s and stuff, like it's just like wow, like they're seriously like, the the women piece of meat thing is still like really apparent here in the early 1980s, even with all the um any any progress that um that like the women's uh, equality movement had made throughout the like you know those previous decades and stuff. I was like, dude, they are still just like pieces of Hollywood meat here. It's and it's really like and again like I as, as we remarked that like how great how great looking Debbie Harry is and she really is. Um, she's the way she's presented as sort of this kind of more liberal, I should say like more liberal, open kind of like progressive woman. She's still visually presented for the male gaze. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like they could have had her like buttoned up a lot more in almost every scene, but like she Mm -hmm. is definitely 100% there for us to look at. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Like they give her a little bit of substance, but at the same time, still like kind of sexualize her and everything. And she, it, she would, she it, would not be if this movie got made now. She would not. It, it, I mean, even if it's you know, even if it's like a super attractive woman like Debbie Harry, she would not be physically presented that same way. No, I think what they would do is they would really like play up the like maybe like a business angle, and then the twist is is that she is so easily succumbed to all this like you know yeah. um, like the, the piercings and the cigarette burning and stuff like that. That's exactly right. She wouldn't be a hundred percent sexualized. There would be some sexualization of that character, but I don't think it would be anything on the level that we saw in nineteen eighty three. Right. Right. All right, dude. So, which of the three? Um, uses of television and as an antagonistic force did you find to be the most creative 
I mean, I, I think like the simple, the simple answer is Videodrome, but I will give, I will give um, Halloween three a lot of credit for, for sort of this interactive element of how they were going to, uh, you know, how they're going to sacrifice all the children. Like it just, like it's something that, it's something that feels, it feels like something that's a little bit more modern. That like mm-hmm. we're gonna have the kids participate in this giveaway or whatever, and then we're gonna send that you know that radio signal is gonna activate this ship. It just feels like it's a little bit not like super modern, but I mean it feels like something that maybe came out would have come out like a decade later or so when we had a better understanding of of that when the general public had a better understanding for like microchips and stuff. Right, exactly. Yeah, like I gotta say, you know, that video drum I think would be the the easier answer here, but instead just to give one to give a category to another one of our movies here. I really do enjoy the way that they did this on Halloween three. It is like as a kid when I you know after seeing Halloween two. I'm not going to lie. I thought this was corny as fucking shit. Like just uh, radio chips and Halloween masks and everything. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm not going to lie on this, on this most recent re- rewatch. This is actually struck me to have a, like a certain level of intelligence to it. And like, even just the way that the plan is concocted in general is something that I feel is very, very unique. And I don't believe that we had, I can't think of it anyway, but like, I haven't seen a movie like that where like, you know where it is mass or even like just the signal is going to make everybody's head explode like i haven't seen any other like really great examples of like in compared to halloween in compared to halloween 3 there's right well, i mean top of my head yeah i mean there's like i know that there's one where like there's like a mass signal that goes out but i can't like i can't think of the name of the movie off the top of my head but then like the the next sort of like iteration of that like the more modern iteration of that is like um you know the original ringu and then the ring probably would be mm-hmm. like your mo like would be the next sort of step in that kind of thing, um, yeah. But yeah, like at the time, especially in nineteen eighty two, correct? Correct. Yeah, yes. in nineteen eighty two, that this is like definitely something that's a little bit that's like definitely very more sci fi than probably most audiences would have been in for at that point in time. Yeah, and like I mean, I I gotta say that like this is it's just aged so much better than than I like just remember as a kid. And I know that they even mentioned that in like Wikipedia that like over time, this movie has kind of gotten like a reappreciation and like, yeah, like I, I'm not going to lie. This is actually like a not too bad movie, like as an adult. And, it, and I actually, and I actually do like how, and this is probably, <laughs> this probably is really important mostly for the title. I do like how they actually tie it back into Sam Hain using the Stonehenge, the piece of Stonehenge. And like, you know, we're kind of, it's it's hinted that Conal Cochran might be like three thousand years old. Uh, might actually be um, one of the you know uh, one of the titular witches or the titular witch. Although which mm-hmm. would be incorrect because he's a male, so he'd be a warlock. But yep. otherwise otherwise there would be no witches in a movie titled Season of the Witch. Um, but yeah, like I actually even love like the sort of the sort of supernatural element, like the, the you know, the, the ancient supernatural element they, they kind of tie it to. Even though, like, it sounds ludicrous, it kind of, in a weird way, makes sense. Yeah, dude, like, I like, the, and I really appreciate the, the, the Samhain tie and the, the Gaelic Celtic, you know, kind of, um, like, um, number one in the speech, the mythology. Thank yeah. you so much, the mythology. I really, like, appreciate that. And it, it's something very different. And, you know, probably in today's world, the, a story like this would, would not exist. And it would be a mythological ghost or, like, an actual sacrifice that we mm-hmm. see every single second of. But um, this was, 
like I gotta say, like there was a lot of things about this that um, that made me appreciate this movie a lot more during this during this rewatch and stuff. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, all right, dude. So the last one in the uh, trilogy connection section is the intent of content, which is just one simple question, which is, do you feel that um, these movies are making any statements on the people who produce shows, movies, or commercials? Oh, I mean, Videodrome is 100% for sure. That, like, the our, our hero, if you will, um, in this movie who's going to, you know, help harm Videodrome is a complete scuzzy, womanizing uh, piece of crap who wants to watch, like, extreme pornography. Um, like that's the good guy because <laughs> like the the bad people are doing things that are like even worse. Um, so like yeah, like that's you know, and that, and that's the person who's in charge of an entire TV station. Essentially, you know, he has partners, but like he's essentially the director of content. So like that's mm-hmm. that like is that is absolutely a statement right there about it. Um, again, like I think Halloween, I think Halloween three is more about it's less about like the shows or it's best about the content and more about the people who could be in control of the content mm-hmm. that, that, no. that I think is what um, Halloween three is, is kind of saying that like, you know, who's, who's behind, who's sending out the signals basically. Um, and then the video dead is not. Right. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. No, you make a great point about, um, Max and the, the slime balliness and everything like that, and like in Halloween three, it being more about the, the people behind it and everything. I I gotta tell you, man, no, that's really really good stuff. And yes, it just it just shows like that, um, you know, this really interesting like take on the lead character when he is so goddamn scummy, but it kind of works because everybody else is that much worse. It's like, it's always sunny in Philadelphia is um, it's almost like they're the core of how they built that show. Yeah. Everybody else other than the protagonist is so much worse. And like, I, I, my, my personal, like, and I feeling my feeling with the answer to this question is, is just that like these people, like there's just no shame. Like these people who make this stuff, there's just no shame and they don't really don't care. And it's, it goes, I'm not, pulling one of those like the media has an agenda things because i think that like that is just you know that's like common knowledge or whatever you know what i'm saying like that the media has an agenda but like i feel that like these people behind it they they have no shame they don't care about like what it does to people as long as it as long as it is what their goals are and everything like that you know it not so while it is like yes technically like an agenda but i didn't want to say like like the media has an agenda i wanted to put the focus on more about how like it's just these people like just they just have no there's no giving there's no fucks to give here you know these people like they set out to do something no matter what it is whether it's playing a video in hopes of controlling the population or broadcasting a signal that's going to wipe out a bunch of people they just don't care. This is all like about them. There's no shame and whatever they decide, you know, that's what's going to happen. I would squeeze your definition of the media down quite a bit, but yes, mm-hmm. um, I, I kind of hate when people say the media, I'm like, Oh, so yeah. like, the media, yeah. all of it. Like, so the people writing books are trying to do this to you too. Um, yeah. That, no, you're right about that. Yeah. I keep forgetting like the book, that kind of stuff. You're right. That, that falls into the element of the media, but like this, this piece of the media, I should say. Well, I would just say the people who are programming your television are the ones the people... who are have an agenda. Absolutely. Definitely. Gotcha. Yeah, for sure. All right, dude. So now I want to get into this. Like I, I happen to have a small like place in my heart for straight to video stuff. And, um, 
I kind of wanted to get one of these in on in the trilogy. Unfortunately, it turned out to be the movie that it did, and it is a solid representation of what a straight to what a what's how something could end up being straight to video. I guess that is in ar- that is an inarguable point. There, you are correct. <laughs> yes, yes. So, um, like when I was a kid, my my dad was a UPS driver, and there was this video store in Beechwood called Star Video that. Um, you know, every like couple of times that he would come around, you know, they would just basically like, Hey, here's a box of tapes or whatever, you know? And like this, a lot of these were straight to video releases. And some of these actually turned out to be like just promotional copies of movies that ended up in the theater. Like my big claim to fame was I had a, a copy of scream as it was coming out for his re-release. So when everybody was going to see Scream in the theater for the re-release, I had the DVD, the, the VHS in my house. So that was my big, like, uh, you know, as far as getting a movie early, claim to fame in seventh grade was. So, but a lot of the videos that he used to bring home, like, you know, were, like, were basically like horror movies too. There weren't a lot of video, straight to video dramas, maybe like the occasional comedy that we never watched, but, Um, I kind of always had this certain appreciation for it. And I was doing some research to the best of my ability and I found on Wikipedia that there are 277 pages of direct-to-video horror movies, which is way more than the next highest genre of comedy, which is 68 pages of straight-to-video comedy movies. So why do you think that there are so many direct-to-video horror movies being made? There's only one reason. It's cheaper. Cheaper. All around. Production is cheaper. You make a movie for a shoestring budget, are you going to run it through the regular distribution routes? Because then it's going to make a $100,000 movie cost $10 million if you run it through the regular distribution routes, and it's never going to make that much back. So you just put it straight to video, costs a little bit more, that's it. Gotcha. Like, for me, I tackled this, and like, no, you're 100% right about the cost. For me, what I'm giving a nod to here is I'm giving a nod to the horror culture and stuff because there's, we've always talked about, and like the entourage talks about it. It's been talked about this whole built-in audience for the, um, with, with horror and everything. And I got to tell you, dude, like I know horror fans, they go out, they buy these straight to DVD videos and stuff. They love it. It's almost like a badge of honor to have like certain non theatrical releases and amongst your collection and everything. And like the horror genre I happen in the horror audience, I happen to feel is like the only like audience that is actually, you know, going out there and supporting like straight to video, straight to video releases. Like I, I, I don't know of anybody who just randomly goes out and watch. And I know like it's different with straight to streaming and stuff like that today. But like, you know, just I don't know a lot of people that are itching for directed direct to video comedies or direct to video dramas. But like, if you want to talk direct to video horror movies, like I'll give you like five people on Twitter that you could contact right now. And they've got, they got hundreds of these things. I mean, yeah, you're a hundred percent right. But I think this is a chicken or the egg question. Would gotcha. this I... built in audience exist if these movies weren't cheap to make? That is a very, very good question. That is a, really like a chicken or the egg type situation. You're right. Yes. So yeah, I guess like the, the movies wouldn't exist without the audience, but the audience wouldn't exist without the movies. Exactly. Situation. I think it's, I, gotcha. I think actually a better, since you already brought up the sunny, you know, since you already dropped a, a sunny, um, a sunny reference. This is sort of the self-sustaining economy they wanted to create with the patties bucks. Um, yeah. the, the money just keeps flowing back and forth. That's all this is like, it's, it, you know, a cheap movie that costs $500,000 to make is going to make back $600,000 on DVD sales, which is going to perpetuate the next 
the next one, and it's going to make back the like it's just going to make its budget plus a little bit back, um, right? Enough to enough to justify, um, enough to justify you know the second, and the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth, or whatever. And the money keeps moving. It's a self-sustaining economy, <laughs> right? That's right. <laughs> Patty's books, man. So, so do you have like a particular favorite straight to DVD release or straight to video release? No, because they all suck. Um, that's like my general, I like, I'm sure there's some that I've seen that I like that I'm not aware of them being straight to video necessarily, but like the ones that I do like know of as being straight to video, they all suck. And it, like you said, that's changed a little bit more recently, but that's like, I'm kind of ignoring them. And thinking more of like the straight to video stuff from like the eighties to the nineties and even the early two thousands. They all really suck. Yeah, oh definitely. And for as much as this one movie does suck, there's a certain nostalgic connection to it that I have to it that is undeniable. And it's this movie that's called The Granny. It came out in nineteen ninety-five. And this movie stalled starred uh, Sharon Shannon Weary, like the softcore porn star and everything. And it was this movie that was um directed by this guy named Luca. Birovici, he directed Ghoulies and Rockula with the um, the pizza delivery guy for Men at Work. I don't oh, know if you ever that's saw. all correct. This is all sounds correct. Okay, so like this movie, um, my dad got it from the Star Video and everything, but he never watched it. And um, <laughs> this was like the one movie that um, w- had you know, like a lot of freedom in terms of like showing boobs and everything. And when it's 1995 and you're like a 10 or 11, 11 year old kid, this was like the greatest thing in the world, you know? And it, cause he wasn't ever going to watch this movie and stuff, you know? So like there would be times like, Oh yeah, dad, it's funny. It's all just about this grandma who's killing people and stuff. And then like, you know, it's like, but in all reality, we had this ulterior motive for seeing nudity as a, uh, as a young kid and stuff like that. So I have like a, you're right. It's awful, but I do have this like personal nostalgia connection to it and everything. So I, I had to throw that out there. And which brings us to the final thoughts where I'm going to throw out this idea of how I can glue these whole movies together and stuff like that. Okay. So, and like I said, this is really, really, really loose here. So the whole thing, no joke, is rooted in the fact that. Connell Cochran and Brian Oblivion both have Irish names. So I don't know if you in, like in Cleveland or whatever, but there's a lot of Irish people in Cleveland that everybody seems to know everybody else. Everybody's got a story. They could tell me they all know people when they were younger. Everybody seemed to have all had experiences. There's this big, like kind of Irish connection in, in Cleveland, as I'm sure there are in, in other cities and everything too. So what I did is I took this connection and I'm like, okay, what if these guys are like sort of like working together? Like maybe they're all a part of like this same kind of enterprise. And so when it comes to Videodrome being the first installment, like I was like, okay, so Videodrome, this is like the influence. This is like a plan that they have that, um, you know, number one, it's the first thing, the problem with the plan is the reliance is on Videodrome, like being picked up. So this signal could easily get lost, you know, and we don't really get any resolution. Like, I mean, we don't really find out where the signals, like where it's from. So, you know, in theory, this whole thing is like relying on it's going to take something else for Videodrome to really pick up and to really catch to catch, um, you know, for them to do what it's supposed to do. Now, we um, don't really get any resolution on that. So I'm just going to say that their plan didn't work. So they opted for what would be the next thing, which is this 
paranormal television that we see that makes its way into video dead. And this whole thing, again, this plan did not work. So instead of doing the dance of influence and no, we're not doing zombies, the same company and the same group of people that um, Brian Oblivion and Conal Cochran are affiliated with, they just decided to throw in the towel and go with an all out, okay, this is just Halloween mask, a big explosion, one mass murder type thing, no development, no none of this, just a, this is going to happen then. And since we don't know what happens and we do get that kind of cliffhanger ending, that's why I put it at the end. Like I thought that the um, what we saw in Halloween 3 was this um, sort of culmination of two plans that, you know, we, that didn't really go the way they wanted it to. So now they're just going all out with this attack and using television as this as, as kind of like the weapon and everything like that to unfold their big plan. And that line of thought is how I ended up with the Letterbox trilogy. I love the thought you put into this. Because it it actually, I mean, it does sort of, in the weirdest of weird ways, you did a pretty good job of tying, like, I can see exactly how you tie Videodrome and, and Halloween 3 together. I'm very impressed that you actually, you managed to hammer and nail and duct tape uh, Video Dead in there. Um, that, I mean, like, it, that, that movie's hard to stick in with anything else. But I'm, I'm impressed that you managed to do all that. I will say this, I'm allowed to pop holes in this, correct? Oh, pop as many as you want. Go for it. (laughs) Um, This is loose. uh, One, Brian Oblivion isn't his name, as he mentions, like, at the the beginning. So he's not even Irish. That's right. Oh, yes. But, like, you... Hold on. Like, my... Okay. Hold on. And and Brian Oblivion is the one fighting, would be the one fighting against Conal Cochran. Oh, I gotcha. Okay. Very interesting. That's, like, the reason why he made all the tapes were to help guide whoever the next one that got exposed to Videodrome was to guide them to helping them over, or, you know, at least somewhat thwart what Videodrome was going to do. I understand. Okay, I got you, dude. I definitely got you. Okay, nope. Like I said, you could have thrown a (laughs) stick of dynamite in there, but that is what I got to. (laughs) My line of thought process, it's all on the table. That's what I got out of this, and like, or that, that's what I used I mean, to glue it's fine. this whole like, thing. To. It's totally fine. I just is like, I just think it's. I, I think, I think the hard work here is figuring figuring out how Video Dead fits in there. That's yeah. the hard work. Yeah. No. Like I said, if there is one thing I could definitely would want to go back and do, it would be um, to replace Videodrome. But I mean, Video Dead. But I, um, I don't know. I did want to have this like conversation about straight to uh, straight to video and all that stuff. So that was kind of like my excuse to do it. And um, I wanted to stick with the theme of like of the television, like specifically with yeah, for sure. television. So yeah, I'm like, and I wanted to keep it in the '80s. So like. Unfortunately, with these sort of restrictions that I set for myself, that was that was the one, you know, kind of god awful, disgusting mess that we had to sit through. Real quickly, I have like literally three pages worth of notes on the video dead um, because it just like every literally every every choice, every bad choice that you could make, they made, which Mm -hmm. it leads to a lot of questions. So like, oh yeah, I'll bring up my notes really quick. I got a lot of them too. Yeah, so like. Why are these zombies just hanging in the woods and how has no one noticed them for three months? Yeah, no shit. That's a really good point. Um, 
Yeah. And I got to tell you, the first thing that they fucking do is they kill a dog. Come on, man. Like that's, I feel that's a little bit on the cheap side to have these um, zombies kill a dog in a straight to DVD movie or whatever. They eat the dog. Um, We don't see it. Thank God. But that's another thing. It is. Hold on. I I wrote it down. It's 39 minutes into what a 99 minute movie Um, or 90. I don't I don't I should have written it down exactly. But it's 39 minutes before we get an on-screen death. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because they don't they don't kill the doctor in the beginning. It just cuts and we find him like the the way that he is. Yeah. Or no, they don't even show it. They just they it just open just, the door and he's just there. Right. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Thirty nine fucking minutes. My God. And I bet in the between that time, okay, so we probably had at least three horrible rocking eighty songs in yes. that time period. <laughs> yes. Thank so, you. Like, if you could have put like, I would have to. Yeah, I'm assuming that there's some level of budget that went into getting the rights. I'm just like, why would you spend money on that particularly? Because number one, these straight to DVD, like no one's in it for the music. And like you remember when we were watching Love, Death, and the Robots, and there was mm-hmm. the um, the one uh, short that had um, the famous actress in it who's very attractive, and she at the end she ended up being a creature that was keeping the guy hostage and he was living in a simulation and stuff. And and for some stupid reason, they had a, like a hard, like almost like Daughtry song playing in a short. Yeah. It was, it was as, um, as they call it on, um, we hate movies. It was fart rock. Fart rock. Yeah. Fart rock. Fart rock just spills the end of it. Yeah. And like, dude, like that's, I don't come to the short film for the to hear fart rock, you know, and I'm not watching a direct to DVD movie to hear shitty eighty songs. It was it was so strange because like there was a bunch of scenes where like the song is playing through them like sharing dialogue, and I'm, mm-hmm. which like obviously you could have like the score and stuff playing like while people are talking like that that happens all the time. But when it's like a song, like a like a like a song that's not part of the score. I'm just mm-hmm. like sitting there. I'm like, can you fucking turn that down so I can hear them talk? Like, yeah, please stop playing up, the song. I end up focusing on the lyrics of the song over the what the hell they're saying. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, death. Oh god, I'm looking at some of these notes, and there is just like <laughs> there is just some shit here. Like, so uh, it takes a while before we actually learn that the parents are in Saudi Arabia, which is yes. like really weird that they just threw that one in there. Um, Oh God! Uh, let me see here. I just I just had yeah. down. I wrote down thirty three minutes. How could there be over an hour left? Yeah. I, <laughs> I really thought that like at thirty three minutes, I'm like, boy, we're gonna get be get ramping up for like the end soon. Like I've been watching this for a while, and I'm like, oh my God, the, this is the slowest moving horror movie I've ever seen. Yeah, this is really bad, and like I'm just going to like I can't even believe like how much stuff that I have for for this particular movie, just like in general stuff that I, that I listened to, um, or that, I, that I was writing down. So I just can't even believe it. And when I was watching this movie, like this is one, this was like brutal to fucking watch, dude. Like it was, it was like a struggle to get through. And like, I went to, I went to the theater to see, um, the new bond when my buddy was in town, which, which was good. But like, I was suffering from major theater fatigue. It was nothing to do with the movie. I just like hadn't been to the theater in a while. And I'm like, Oh Jesus Christ. Like, I forgot. I can't pause it when I go, I have to go to the bathroom, you mm-hmm. know, I'm like going to the bathroom a bunch of times. And it was like a struggle for me to like get through bond, but mainly because I hadn't been to a theater in like two years. 
this is a struggle to get through even in the in, even in my own house and i didn't and i was so skeptical about fast forwarding through it just in case i happened to miss the one awesome thing that took place which i didn't i probably could have fast forwarded through a lot of the movie but um but i didn't want to do it because like what if there was one fucking thing that like made the whole experience worthwhile and i just happened to miss it you know right. you could be <laughs> right. you you could have been you could have been like during one of the questions just like during your standout moment like yeah video drum had this awesome stand or video dead had this awesome standout moment at the end where this happened and i would have been like yeah go figure it happened when i fast forwarded it so it was like i so i had to make sure to watch it and stuff there's like okay so here's like an indication for like how interested in the movie i was i wrote down here um and now i remember why i wrote this down because i did a little research afterwards i wrote down so this movie likely takes place in michigan probably in detroit um there's like a band like in the beginning um of the of the house that uh, when michael st michael is living in it um there's a banner for the 1984 world series uh which okay. the the tigers the tigers beat the cubs in um so like that's first hint um and then when the after the old woman gets put into the washing machine and spun around to death or whatever is going on there which is bizarre um the husband is sitting there reading the newspaper reading the wall street journal and there's a big ad that says, like, we're giving Detroit sluggers um, extra power or something. And I was like, what the fuck is this? So I looked up that I looked up as best I could that that exact ad. And I got I got into this long trail about this um, this trash incinerator in Detroit and how <laughs> it, it from 1989 until like two years ago uh, for 30 years, this trash incinerator was like it was providing power to like this. It was one of the sources of power for like this part of Detroit. And it was mm-hmm. like a big nuisance um, in Detroit because like it just smelled, well, it smelled probably like a lot of like burning trash. Um, yeah. And like, it took them like 30 years and like a lot of like legislative, like nightmares to finally get this place to shut down. And like now this place is just sitting vacant. Like no one, someone owns it or someone owned it, but like, it's, uh, it's like an escrow or so like, it's again, another fucking failure of the city of Detroit uh, to address like some horrible thing they were doing to their citizens. And now, mm-hmm. like, it's going to cost them more money than it's even worth to, like, probably take it down. So, anyway, uh, point being that, like, this movie at least spurred me to go look up what the fuck the Detroit trash incinerator was. Right. So, at least there was some, like, <laughs> educational thing you got out of it, which is probably the only – other than this conversation and that, that's that's it, <laughs> you know? I mean, seriously, like, that's, like, how bored I was. I'm like – I'm like, what? Like, I can, I'm going to go look this. I mean, I, it wasn't like I waited till later. I did that for like 10 minutes while I was watching the movie. Or like I had, I had a pause. And I was like, well, this is actually kind of interesting. This Detroit trash incinerator situation. <laughs> I know. Isn't it amazing when a story about burning trash is like more interesting than the yes. movie you're watching? <laughs> burning um, trash in Detroit, no less. Yeah, I know. Um, just a couple more things here that just like really stuck out. The basically, so we get like three different explanations for like what's going on with the TV. Uh, we get like a little bit from the garbage man. Um, then obviously the, the the cowboy stereotype basically tells us that the TV kills because it kills. And then he says they think they're alive, so we got to attack them like they were alive. And I'm like, so just anything then, like right. that's how I kill living people, I guess, with anything that might kill them. Yeah, no shit. Okay, that's very interesting. Just like it's, it, it's just like the most random, roundabout way to say like shoot them, because yeah, that... they think they're like uh, okay. I guess I, I don't know. And just lastly, like the last thing I put here. So when um, 
Zoe's in the um, when Zoe's in the hospital in the psych ward. Um, how old are her parents? 80? 90? Oh, they're old as hell. Like, they look old, old way parents. too old to be the parents of an 18-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's another really interesting thing. Like, I, they really put, like, no effort into that whatsoever. And, like, I know that, believe me, like, there were people in our school that had, like, older parents and stuff like that. But no one – it's so few and far between that, like um, – that that's not a common thing. Like that's going to stick out. You know, it's not like it's Colleen Roth's dad who was in Colleen Roth's father was in his like sixties when, like when I was a kid and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, it, it happens, but it's not like the visual that everybody associates with an 18 year old girl's parents, you know? Exactly. It was, it's like, like my, first, like I see these like two old people shambling and I'm like, so were you like one of those, like fertility experiments where like a 65 year old woman has a child because that's the only thing that makes sense here. Yeah. That actually could have been a much more interesting story than what they presented. That could have been something where like she is a, the, there's some conflict or something there, you know, there actually could have been conflict between an older mother and a younger daughter, but they were in Saudi Arabia. And then just to add to that, they decided after her to have another kid. That's, that's right. Oh my God. I, the fact that that woman's alive is even surprising. Like it's 65 to do 65 that. 65-year-old hips giving birth twice. Um, oh. Yeah, I don't know. That, that was just really that was just really fucking random. And, and again, I read this. Apparently the zombie at the end is supposed to be her brother. Oh, is it? I, I guess. Wow. <laughs> is it? Okay. I, glad I read Wikipedia because that would have gone right past me otherwise. Man, I think we might have found like one of the first movies that the room is actually better than in terms of like structure and uh, I mean, explanations. And at, stuff. at least I know, even though the room, the room to me is, I mean, not that it would make it any better, but it feels like it's all out of sequence. Like, yeah, you just go scene to scene and I'm like, well, why are we here now? Like, why are we doing this now? It's almost like there's another movie that they should have like, there's like scenes that would have made sense at least to put in. But I mean, mm-hmm. obviously it still wouldn't have made any sense, but this is like. This was just like sort of like I'm like uh, like I shouldn't need again I shouldn't need a Wikipedia page to explain something that is supposed to be this straightforward. Right, exactly. Yeah, so I'm telling you this is going to be the new thing. Like what's going to cripple Hollywood is everybody's just going to start reading Wikipedia pages from now on. Like that it'll save you so much time and money and like you get the gist of it. Just watch the previews and read Wikipedia summaries. Yep, Gen that's that's what Gen Z is doing to kill movies. I got to tell you, with that whole article that you had sent me yesterday about the um, the psychedelic drugs before meetings, like that is <laughs> honestly, I'm not taking that off the table. We're watching previews and we, reading Wikipedia summaries might be the way people watch movies in the future. I, I, at this point in time, nothing's off the table. Yeah, yeah, probably not. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, so I was just going to ask if you had any final thoughts or if you wanted to lead us out of here. One of uh, the two. I do have just I just have one final thought. So next year when we when we get around to doing this. I'll I'll leave it up to you the direction that we go for the uh, for the fright fest. The only literally the only reason why I just like chose is because like we were like two weeks away from yeah, yeah. starting how you know from starting up uh, from jumping headlong into spooky season. So I was just like, all right, let's just make it. I'm just going to make a decision now so we have something to go for, like so we can plan ahead. But yeah, next year let's let's whatever you want to do, we'll we'll go for it. 
Oh, dude, I'm telling you, I will even drop the, the seed right now. I am really into the idea of the local folklore thing that um, Ooh, okay. we had talked about last year. Like, you, we could even do, like, you in Ohio, Midwest one, and I could take California or something, like West Coast um, local folklores and everything. I think that would be a lot of fun, um, for sure. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Me, we'll, we'll, we have a whole year to think about it. Oh yeah, with Boston Heights being right down the street and everything, you got a lot. There's a lot of stuff. Um, you got the the, the freaking uh, the Melonheads and Kirtland. Like you basically had that one whole the, that book series um, about this kind of stuff. You're mm-hmm. just ripe with a bunch of stuff. Just just in Ohio alone, Devilltown Junction, everything. Yep, yep. You're absolutely right. All right, bro. So then you want to uh, do the, the send off here to uh, put a bow on this year's uh, Fright Fest? Yeah, the Fright This is it. That's it. We did the Fright Fest this year, uh, season of the trilogy. I would say it's uh, it was a huge success. Um, you know what? It was even fun having a dud of a movie to talk about. Like, there's like you and I. We I know we've done this before. We're like, well, fuck. We we did a whole. We we've done our bad movie series before. Like, there is some enjoyment in even talking about a bad movie, but. Um, it was also fun to revisit, um, in, in the case of your trilogy, revisit to revisit, uh, one of my favorite horror movies. And then like a movie that I haven't seen in a long time was great. Um, finally was really pleased to talk to someone about these movies that I had seen that like apparently no one else has ever seen besides me. Um, so that was fun. Um, yeah, so this is, this, this is one of my favorite things that we do every year. So yeah, really pleased to put another one, uh, to put a bone, another one here. And as always, everyone out there, um, thanks for listening, streaming, downloading. You can find us on all the social medias. You can find us on Instagram. Um, check us out uh, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find The Occasionalists. We're there. We are there. We're streaming. Uh, there should be, I don't know, like a library of like over like 150 episodes, 140 episodes, something like that uh, for you to choose from. So like there's plenty of content there, there for you to stream. And as always, thanks for doing that. Um, Chama, thanks for doing this with me. It was a real pleasure. Um, that's it, man. We did the damn thing. I'm, I'm, I'm actually kind of, I I love doing this, but I am happy to move on to the next thing too. Yes, I definitely hear you on that, man. Believe me, I love this time of year and everything. Like I, this is Adam Shemaluski going all like a basic suburban mom and everything during this time of year, Claire Dunphy all the way. So like I'm any opportunity to like broaden horizons in terms of horror cinema. I am always, I'm always up for. Absolutely. So thanks everyone. And we will see you next time on the occasionalists. Peace out. Definitely. See you next time.